0: I'm Aaron Armstrong.
1: I'm Pete Moran. And we love to read? We love to read the Magnolia Universe extravaganza. Clear as winter.
0: To hey, Pete. Hi. Go what straight, to Hellboy. A Go a straight to Hellboy. Go straight to Hellboy. How sad are you right now?
1: I'm, I have this feeling, like, this sort of melancholy that comes at the end of uh, a really great show, um, a really great book. Just, I have that melancholy when, you know, a, a friendship is over. Just, a, you're like, you know, this has run its course, but um I'd maybe it was time to to say goodbye um but like you're still sad to see it go um yeah because uh we are done reading the entire hellboy series
0: <laughs> we're done reading. yeah we, we we it actually went this is uh the middle of july and i know when we were recording these first episodes all the way back in may we we're like we're gonna be done memorial day weekend and um it, yeah it's just I, I remember thinking i would be done in march We'll we'll get into that here in a second but uh, it is it's one of those things where it's not just the pages it's the density right like it it um you know i read all of 40 volumes of berserk in like a 6 week period there's whole volumes where there's no words right like i don't have to digest content and nuance and then reread because the mythos is getting confusing i just am like yep that's a guy slicing a rattlesnake man <laughs> yep that's a warthog coming I, at him <laughs> I opened yep look at all look at all, all these trees <laughs> like You know, you can get through that pretty quick. This this took. uh, I I started a little bit earlier than you, Peter, but I think like both of us took about seven or eight months to read all this. But what? Let's actually let's just get right into that. Where we left to watch? We're movie podcast. Normally, we usually do one month full of movies around a theme. Normally, we're at the end of our nine week. Uh Mike Mcnola, Gilmel del Toro, Blade Boys about the Blade and Hellboy movies through the prism of Mike Magnola, and Gilmel del Toro that started that we we decided to do back in November or december of of twenty twenty because as my next tackling of a comic book series, I was gonna go through the Hellboy series. I had a coworker who was very adamant about like, hey, Hellboy's amazing. The whole series is worth going through. It's my favorite comic book series or universe of all time. And then Peter and I talk – Peter like saying, I need to reread these and kind of coming along for this ride that became this wonderful double month. But part of the reason I asked Peter if he was sad is not just because you just finished, again, seven months of basically reading the same type of thing. But also because he was so into this double month, which just hits at so many things that Peter loves – we, we record generally pretty early, or have been recording really early for so much of, of the last year and a half with COVID. And sometimes that means really mixing and match, matching up our months. We had an opportunity to record something, but we're not going to be able to record something Hellboy related. And I pitched to Peter starting into our September month, which is actually pretty normal practice for us. Uh, and and he said, uh, no, I... I need to see this through completion before I start something else. <laughs> so, so I, you kind of had like a tantric uh, month. And this finally, where we go through all the comic books in minute detail, is your orgasm. It is. It is
1: my orgasm. And to be honest, the the reason... You're always just... sad after an orgasm. <laughs> a melancholy. Because you're like, you know... All, all, all that work I put
0: in—it's over.
1: Um, but aren't, aren't you glad for the times that you had? You know,
0: it is true that when I'm having sex, I also think about other times I want to have sex. Like, oh, maybe later we'll do it here, and then when I'm done having sex, I'm like, I never want to have sex again. This is fine. I am set. <laughs> it's that same
1: effect of—it's uh, <laughs> the same effect of when you're watching pornography. You're like, yeah. You're like, wow, this is great stuff. Great work, guys! You're really doing a great job. And then um, you get to the end, uh, and you're like,
0: "What is?" Yeah, this? you always. I always watch the pornography to the very end. Who would no put this? What? Who would put this on? I always watch to the end so I can log it on Letterboxed, of course. Like, you, you can't quit watching the porn just because you came. Like, <laughs> there, you know how many people like got to stay through the end credits to see all the people that worked hard on a movie. They did work hard, some harder than others. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, let, this is a great Madison of four. Let's leave it behind forever. Yeah. Um, so so my point, yeah, my so point we point was
1: actually that yeah make your point that this is uh the the, what, the reason we're covering this in, in in the course of Hellboy, as opposed to just saying hey, we read a really good series. We don't need to talk about it that much on the show. Is that I see this as the real culmination of hellboy three dreams that um del toro wasn't able to make his hellboy three mignola um despite his his efforts uh, and then his efforts to distance himself wasn't able to make hellboy 2019 and that new series work um by the way do you we didn't talk about this in the hellboy 2019 episode but do you think that like at any point during the production of hellboy 2019 and its release and it's just getting just lambasted by casual people and fans alike do you think that mignola was like Probably should have stuck by Del Toro, or do you think at that point he was just so pushed away? This is
0: such a this is such a bleak view of humanity. But I feel like when people get um, hoisted by their own petard in the moment, they never recognize it. It's only like f- five years down the road. I feel like that's when people go, you know, that sucked what i did maybe but i feel like in the moment i mean he was defensive about it he said a bunch of positives while he was distancing himself from having any involvement in a movie that he uh, was very involved in he talked about how how good the movie actually was and it was the first real like he threw the other movies under the bus so i i, I definitely don't think he he felt it in the moment i hope maybe down the line then maybe he, he is like, maybe sends Del Toro an apology, like, <laughs> whoopsie daisies. Yeah. And then, uh, and
1: that would be a fun thing if, you know, they ever work together on something. That'd be a great thing to to talk about on the show. But for the time being, <laughs> Hellboy 2 is the, is the well. Last hold on. Last...
0: Actually, before you get further, it is interesting that the, so Hellboy started in 1994, the big arc of that series wraps up in 2019. So like he spends twenty five years to bring his series to a conclusion, and in the you know, or like uh or like the main story of that series to a con- conclusion. Uh, weirdly, in the same year that everyone goes, what the fuck is wrong with all you guys? What kind of shit Hellboy movies? Like I I didn't know that the series just ended two years ago. I thought even when I started this. I thought it had probably wrapped up five or six or seven years ago and I was going back and going to that. It's it's extraordinarily bizarre that the timeline is, is that the thing that I finally got to and read from the beginning ended a year after I started it. And it also – maybe the reason I wasn't aware of that is that most of the Hellboy news from that same year was like, look at this garbage. Oh, good. The garbage
1: is now on a Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think that the – I think that the point that I I wanted to make here is that like running through the series is what Hellboy three could have been and Hellboy yeah. four and this this is the series is giving you all of the permutations of what the the future of Hellboy could be and what what the beast of the apocalypse arc actually is because they keep promising it they keep promising it and then both in the del toro movies they never quite get to it and then a hellboy 2019 um they hint at it by having a big slaughter scene of hellboy ch- you know uh chomping through cgi naked people but that's not really like what fans were looking for uh, in the 2019 one at all, and uh, fans were really looking for is for Del Toro to be able to wrangle all these characters together and bring it to a, a stunning conclusion. And while we're there, this series comes to a very stunning conclusion, and we're probably going to talk a lot about the, the the main Hellboy books, and we're probably going to have to scream through a lot of the um, side ephemera. We're probably going to have to scream through stuff that doesn't affect the overall arc plenty of arcs that last 10,000 pages may not get more than a yeah, Vril okay, like, I don't Vril think energy I, mean, I think, was really I, I think important. probably
0: the whole series has 10,000
1: pages. So when we say Vril energy is important, know that there are hundreds and hundreds of pages um <laughs> about Well, that's Vril the energy. thing, right? We'll
0: we'll talk about this. There's a there's a main arc of like what hellboy is, what the nature of the universe is and prophecies throughout about the world being brought to an end um it's also a comic book series and just like everything there's like mini arcs everything is not to feed that that arc there's like just character stories and here's a little bit of backstory on this film it's like a, it's like a normal comic book universe uh it is a little rare and that it has such a defined beginning and end but it has all these side paths and uh expansion of characters and 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 a lot of other stuff there. And to to Peter's point, we for the most part did not take notes because we've been reading it for seven months and eight months, and also just because like
1: I don't want to fill up a uh, a uh, uh, Kevin Spacey and Seven style library of composition yeah. notebooks.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, who fucking like? Can you imagine if it's like, oh yeah, I it took me twice as long to read the Lobster Johnson books. And now I have eighteen pages of Lobster not Johnson notes, and we may we may mention that Lobster Johnson was a thing we read, not because it wasn't enjoyable, but it's it's you know we're gonna talk about the stuff that's interesting to us. But I will say this: like, if you have any interest in. Uh, reading the Hellboy books, now's your time to... And the BPRD and everything else. Now's the time to kind of back up because we are just going to talk about it all. And we're not going to get into such minute detail that, like, again, if you don't care about plot spoilers, you're probably fine because we're not going book by book and describing everything that goes on. If you're like, hey, I'm never going to read that. um, Or... I don't care if I find out what happens, um, but maybe them being excited about it will inspire me to, ch- to to dig in a little bit to some of the Hellboy stuff. All great. Just know that, like, if you, for some reason, are on Volume 4 of Hell on Earth and you're making your way through the whole series, get out now. Because I can't tell you what order we're going to say things in. And now is your time to, to hit the deck and come back. When you've wrapped it up. Also note, Peter and I had a lot of discussions about this. One of the things about these books is there is a main arc, um, but they came – like, you know, when the books came out isn't necessarily where they fit into mythos because uh, there's some stretches that, like, you know, come back and reference things and a few other stuff. So we ended up following this order of the mignola Varsity. Like, if you go to Varsity – what is it? Mo uh, multiversity.com and um, you type in Mignola's Hellboy universe there's this there's this whole thing that was created by this guy Mark uh, Tweedale who updates it every year with the new collected volumes worth noting Hellboy as a series like as a universe is still going on even though it has a definitive end uh, one thing they, they tell a lot of stories that happen uh, in the gaps between 1940 when the series ostensibly starts and when the series ends in like 2020. There still are producing like Young Hellboy or This One Side Character Gets a Series. Uh, Peter and I, this wasn't a requirement of the show, but we both just decided to take a break and we'll come back in a couple of years when there's more collected volumes. Um, so we're not trying to be up to the date and current, but also, you know, when we see what those collected volumes are, this guy updates this thing every year. I think. Um, the, the way that it – like like a lot of reading orders work, it's not trying to necessarily do chronology of when all the books were released, but it's trying to be a completist along with putting a, kind of a combination of when important plot points get revealed and a general chronology of stuff. That – Peter can talk about this more probably in a more frustrated voice than I am. Um, but I think we, we generally share the, the same frustrations. I just – I I don't know. Maybe I'm just more like, yeah, I don't know what else you do here if we're going to read everything. But I I do share some of the frustrations that in order to do that, you have these stretches where you're approaching the, um, the climax of a series and all of a sudden you go and read four or five side books, which could have probably either happened before you got into that final arc could have happened after or or something like that i i will say like there's there's basically two series that happens after the finale and i would have actually rather had those in earlier because it was they it didn't seem to be spoiled by anything it just seemed to be out like well these books were released after the finale so we're just putting them in this port so I, I don't know if there's a perfect chronology if you're going to do the reading order i definitely um had some frustrations with this, although Peter, I I know that I feel like you were a little more frustrated than I was. Um. Yeah, I was. I was more. I was frustrated in the sense that um,
1: <laughs> I think that there we took our reading fairly seriously. Um, and tried to like touch in with each other and and and. Uh, see how each other was feeling about overall arcs and where stuff was going and you know when stuff was kind of a dead end or just wasn't that interesting we would check in and be like do we re- do we really need to be here um but uh there's a second level and a third probably a third level of seriousness beyond us where it's like it's, like, worried about spoilers that you would not fucking understand unless you've already yeah, they read. Yeah, wouldn't I know you already or so, or so read. Now. Like, you don't know there's spoilers until you've read the thing. So sometimes the reading order is like, yeah, the these books after the final arc uh, th- that are just sort of, uh, you know, jumping back in the timeline, they spoil the, the final arc. And I read them, and I was like, uh if i had read these out of order i wouldn't have caught anything i assure you yeah um it's not like that and and also like that feeds into overall what i like about the story which is that it's not it's not hard sci-fi it's not quite uh fantasy with these like rigid rules it's sort of uh like poetic and spiritual and thoughtful and like uh it rewards close reading but it also there are key moments in the two big finales the end of hell uh the the end of bprd hell on earth and the end of bprd uh the devil you know um th- the key parts of the finale are very like sort of poetic and spiritual and you're kind of you're not reading them like ah he found his one trick he, he cut his yeah. achilles heel it's more just like the moment feels right and like because of that and the, the the overall story becomes more of an emotional thing than quite a um uh it's not a chess game this isn't game of Thrones or whatever where they find the one weakness the one the one weakness in this person's armor to beat them so I don't know I I feel like I think don't you're care right about I mean that next level quite because that next level a like I was saying. It's, it's worrying about spoilers that you wouldn't know are spoilers and B it's worried about a very literalist interpretation of the text. Whereas like I kind of take it as this beautiful, like uh, mythological poem that Mike Mignola, Mike Mignola and a bunch of his, his co-writers are crafting together. They're building new mythology.
0: Yeah. yeah the thing that I struggle with a little bit is just like, okay, so where do I, if, if I'm going to read all of it, Like, where do I want those books? Do I want them earlier? And so I have to – I don't get it spaced out with the stuff I'm more interested in. Do I want it all at the end where I really, like – again, it felt anticlimactic. Like, I get that, like, maybe don't put five books in between Hell on Earth Volume 4 and Hell on Earth Volume 5. I think ultimately what I'm left with is that I'm incredibly happy I read the entire series and there's so many amazing moments and, like, you know, I was propelled for seven months. If I were to ever go through and reread it someday, like and I'm like, oh, I want to read the the whole thing. My quote unquote whole thing means basically the Hellboy books and the BPRD books and the Abe Sapien books and uh, less of all the other stuff that that comes through. Just because ultimately, like, that's the propulsive stuff that I find interesting, even though I really liked um, Like, I had a lot of fun with Lobster Johnson, and I had a lot of fun with, like, some of the weird, like, Frankenstein Underground or BPRD Vampire or, or, um, uh, you know, or uh, Rise of the Black Flame or something like that. It's, like, fun to read and then never return to. I even feel that way. I know we'll talk about Edward Gray. I like the Edward Gray stuff, too. The chance of me ever rereading the Edward Gray stuff is slim. And the only reason it's it's slim and not zero is because I did have to buy them all. So I, ha- I have them all.
1: I Yeah, and there's certain arcs that, like we were saying in one of the early episodes, like, this all appeals to us because Mike Mignola's interests and Del Toro's interests appeal to us. The arcs that I got attached to, some of it is just because I love the art and the aesthetic of it. Like, I, I love the idea of Edward Grey... Um, because of the the art style is particularly, it it grabs you. Um, But also like the aesthetic of like a Victorian era agent hunting down Victorian era witches is just like, that's very appealing to me. Whereas like certain uh, BPRD arcs, I'm like, eh, this is kind of them riffing on aliens. This is kind of them riffing on this. And it's just not as much of an aesthetic appeal. So it, it it the thing that I'll say about the series is that like the worst books in the series are three out of five.
0: Yeah, there's only one book that I legitimately, I think, gave less than that too. Yeah,
1: I, I they all, like the worst books in the series are at least passable. They're, they're not broken yeah. stories. They're at least hinting at something interesting. And While we're talking about larger, you know, we mentioned larger kind of comic, comic groups, Marvel and DC, one of the things that makes them so successful is you are rewarded for being a close reader. Like, so we read um, Crimson Lotus and um, the Black Flame arc. Um, There's two Black Flame arcs. And there, there's a... Crimson Lotus takes place in, like, uh, Manchuria or in China. It ta- in 19- it's like a
0: prequel to the Lobster Johnson series. Yeah.
1: And it takes... It's a prequel to a spin um, which is, like, you know... The of a, of a side movie. character
0: <laughs> who's ultimately means nothing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. R- like... I like Lobster Johnson. His appearances in Hellboy and then B. B.P.R.D. are super weird. And, like, he has some really fun – like, obviously, I like a character who is just aggressively hates Nazis to a point that it's almost, like, uh, comical. Like, that's great. He fucking hates Nazis. Good. I hate Nazis too, Lobster Johnson. But, it, like, it really gets – like, Edward Gray, right? Like, Edward Gray is a really good example of someone who – uh, when I meet when when I met him it actually made sense because I get to read the Edward I get to read a couple of the Edward Gray books prior to his appearance out of nowhere in Hellboy Hell on Earth. Um so like who he was made a lot of sense to me. Um Peter, you're just like, okay, this guy's named Edward Gray, and he used to hunt winches. Cool. And he's leading Hellboy around uh for a little bit. But like now they're doing a spin off of Someone he met who helped hide him to America. Like that's a book that's releasing now, and that book may be great. It's just also a matter of like, uh, you know, how how interested am, am I in that? Especially after the whole arc is is done. Like, is this story interesting enough for me to get excited about reading it? Oh, there's there's also that little point that
1: like I have a I have a brain disease that when I'm playing a big open world game, I purposely put off the main arc. Because once I finish the main arc, I can't read side stuff. I think that's kind of a version of this where, like... Well, now that I know where the universe ends, you know, the furthest... Literally. Yeah, the the, the (laughs) furthest point in time possible um for this this universe and that they're not going to revisit this at least you know i hope mike mcnola doesn't um get on a quest for more money in 10 years and reopen it Uh,
0: yeah it it feels like he's gonna keep being successful at releasing hellboy and the bprd till we all die
1: yeah but but i i hope he doesn't but uh, you know now that i know that the series is like over over it's kind of like they they announced more hellboy uh and the bprd spinoffs that kind of go back in time and are sort of flashbacks while i'm sure they're great and i will end up reading them it's less exciting to me because at this point i'm like well, i, I kind of know where everything ends like some of this stuff is a little bit like where did darth vader get his helmet <laughs> and some of it is I, some of it is just d- like really well written
0: narrative honestly like that side quest analogy is the best possible analogy because you're 100% right i can i can have 10 side quest like in in practical matters if i have 10 side quests and one final mission to complete and I go and do the one final mission and then go back and do the 10, ten side quests. Like, that 20-minute difference of time that I spend or whatever it is in between where I do one mission and other missions doesn't have any, like, functional difference, right? Like, instead of instead of playing this quest to go rob a, you know, Red Dead Redemption, to go rob a stagecoach, I'm going to go kill the bad guy who's been hounding me the game, and then I'm going to go rob the stagecoach. But you're 100 percent right. Like, I can't think of a game where I kept doing side glass after I beat the main game. I do put it off. But there is just a little bit of like, okay, well, I'm done with this then. Yeah. Um yeah. And, and I do I do feel that way a little bit about a little bit about Hellboy, even though I really liked a lot of those side trips and uh and slide backs or whatever as I was reading them. I just now it's like, okay well you know if they find if they find some more ectoplasm in 1950 <laughs> it doesn't ultimately matter
1: yeah i know i know where we're going so yeah, yeah. i think that's um it kind of depends on your um <laughs> uh it kind of it kind of depends on your perspective but the way i i put it is that like um the publishing order i think actually affects how the series is progressing. Because if you look at a publishing order, because it it did, you need to, this isn't, uh, you know, uh, DC putting out Justice League, you know, putting the cart before the horse kind of thing. You put out Justice League before people are really attached to these characters. Uh, Hellboy operated for a very long time just as a Hellboy arc. So from 1994 all the way up until around 97 98 it was just hellboy arcs and then there were a few little spin-offs like ape sapien and lobster johnson had their own spin-offs ape sapien is a member of the bprd He's like a sentient fish man. He acts like a normal human being. Um, He's not really, um, he's he's not really like alien or he doesn't have like big cultural differences from Hellboy because he was rescued from a tube, just like Hellboy was, you know, rescued from a a, a, a dimensional rift. Uh, And then they were raised by the BPRD. Lobster Johnson uh, stuff started popping up in 1999 and we're all the way up until 2002 when bprd hollow earth comes out so like from 90 it takes from 1994 to 2002 before we get into the bprd stuff and at this point what i think about it is is like there's the main hellboy arc and then the stuff start, starts to split off of it but this, the main hellboy arc is is is, is the the main hellboy arc it's mostly focused on hellboy it's largely these sort of one-off adventures and then adventures that end up feeding into the larger plot but you don't realize it at the time uh but it's it's fairly it's fairly sort of um episodic it's it's it feels like (laughs) x-files hellboy's sort of bopping around and then you realize like oh this this uh this uh, fight with uh, Hecate is actually really important to the later arcs. This fight with Rasputin is going to keep coming back, coming back. And um, but when we but it's it's sort of just like episodic. It's like little monsters of the week to beat. However, when we get to BPRD, it becomes very much like a Marvel serialized, like more of a modern kind of sensibility to television, where it's like if you miss yeah. an episode, you are going to not understand a lot of stuff. And then other spinoffs start happening. Uh, other other spin-offs start happening. Like Lobster Johnson comes in earnest. Yeah, two yeah,
0: thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine is where it really starts exploding. Right? Yeah, like you start having Edward Gray. You start having Witchfinder. You start having like we- Hellboy Weird Tales. Abe Sapiens not just getting his own Hellboy issue or Hellboy little mini story. That's I mean that's like even the reading order that we just went through like. When when you read the the Hellboy library editions or omnibus editions, which in most reading orders are like read these, what you don't realize is that you're there's some story arcs that are just like hey here's you know the five chapters of Conqueror Worm or whatever, right? But there's also just cl- like some of those library editions are just like fifteen comic book issues that are collected, and so it feels more like assembled i think when you read it that way because you're like oh i'm reading this book and here's all this stuff in this order but you're 100 right like some of those lobster johnson one-offs that from my perspective as part of hellboy library edition fall volume two like came out in a random comic book in 1998 right and so i do think like um any because we're, we're reading throughout all this, essentially collected editions and um, omnibuses and stuff like that, like, we're definitely not reading it chronologically Like, it would be a pain in the ass to read it chrono- chronologically i don't know if you've seen the reading order they have av- available at that that same site peter that has every issue chronologically but oh like, yeah i'm looking you, at it right now <laughs> oh yeah you because you would go and you would go like all right i get my library edition volume six and then i read this one and then i get my bprd volume like it, it would be um you know candidly just a huge pain in the ass um but it, but it it is in like even the version that we read even if you read omnibuses in chronological order you wouldn't get it right right mm-hmm.
1: yeah 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 reading reading the series chronologically wouldn't really make a whole lot of sentence sense and also reading it in terms of release order also really wouldn't make sense
0: uh, yeah I, I agree it's uh, you know it, it has its ups and it, it has its ups and downs but um, we did we did. Read it all. Every single word. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we should mention, too, and then let, let's transition into starting to talk about um, what makes sense to talk about. What an exciting byline. We're going to talk about what makes sense to talk about, guys. Not stuff that doesn't make sense to talk about. Like what Jay Leno would think of re- reading the Hellboy comic. Yeah, have you seen this? You heard about this? This guy, uh, I got a big chin. This guy's got a huge
1: chin. We have we have so much time for Jay Leno impressions. There's so actually much Jay Leno. There's actually there's nothing more I want to talk about than I want to invite I want to invite Jay on up and talk about Hellboy. Uh, so what's up? So what's up with his, uh So what's up with Hellboy's chin? He's got a he's got a chin like the Cliffs of Dover. <laughs> oh Jay. <laughs> Oh Jay, do you think J- for Jay Leno his chin is the equivalent to Hellboy's right hand of doom
0: horns? Like, do you it- think like he's sanding down his chin every night <laughs> so that he can fit better in, in polite pl- society? No, he's not
1: sanding it down. He's just gonna wear this thing out. That's why it's the it's the right doom. I'm a logger! It's why it's the it's the right hand of doom. He's he, he if anybody tried to punch Jay in the face, God forbid, um, God forbid anybody tried to punch Jay in the face, it would just. Bounce off like they were punching sheetrock.
0: I like to think it's like Pinocchio's nose, and every time he says something racist about Asian people, it grows a little bit. <laughs> uh,
1: that that Jay Leno, he's he's something. Sorry, yes, it's
0: that's obviously a joke. If it was true, it would go through the fucking earth. He <laughs> said, "Oh, then he would be Hellboy because he would he, he would be literally yeah. be in hell." <laughs> Go to Hellboy. Uh no, the other thing we should talk about, so it's a very expansive universe with all these side things. Mike, in the same way, like on a um television show, a showrunner is ultimately like there's still different people that are going and writing things or directing stuff, but the showrunner is kind of coming up with uh overall arcs or story beats and then assigning it out to writers to do stuff. The entire Hellboy universe is story by Mike McNolan. He is the, he is the showrunner, you know, I'm sure there's like an actual comic book term for it that I don't know, uh, and that there's people listening right now that are like, these fucking idiots, they should not be talking about comics. Um, and maybe we should, random listener who's judging us for talking about something we love. But yeah, he was essentially uh, involved in all this, even with the only exception being one of the worst things we read, Peter, which is Hellboy Weird Tales, which uh, he had a bunch of other people do their own stories and uh, about Hellboy in 2004 because he realized he had been working on the movie. The movie was about to come out and they didn't have anything to like cross market it from a comic book perspective. And so he set up this thing that ultimately became collected in Omnibus Weird Tales where other writers take a shot at creating a BPRD or Hellboy story. And I think I, I remember reading it thinking one was good. <laughs> Out of like, out of like twenty, uh, it, that is tied with Crimson Lotus for like the only thing that I read that I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is bad. I don't like this. Um, but yeah, interesting that like besides that, it's all him, which is pretty impressive.
1: Uh, yeah, and and what's nice is that Magnolia Style is one of those things where I don't know who would just jump into BPRD as a series uh, without having read Hellboy. So presumably <laughs> you've you've bought the ticket to ride. By enjoying the main Hellboy series, Um, you are reading a Hellboy series, uh, which means that you had uh, an entire era. So basically like um, from the first volume of Hellboy all the way to um, volume seven which includes, like, The Troll Witch and, and other other short stories. Uh, he brings in some guest writers. But, like, the first six volumes, it's all Mike McNoah. So you presumably love his style. Um, so he'll come back and do um, guest covers. And he does the last stretch of pages in BPRD, The Devil You Know. Um, he, he closes out the series in the last, you know, half of the issue. And he has a very distinctive art style. Um, but as we discussed in previous episodes, he brings on all these different artists, and he really encourages them to like not fit with a house style. Like he guides the tone of the the illustrations, but he absolutely does not draw uh, guide the um, the decisions that uh, they make with. Yeah, uh, and, and what's the only part that's hard? I will say we talked about this a little bit. Um, we talked on our first episode. Yeah, we, talk, okay. we talked
0: a little bit about how inspiring it is that like he hated house styles, and he made sure that like you can draw them however you want. But I think I think I'm going to agree with you on what you're about to say, Peter.
1: Um, I, is it that uh, human beings um, sometimes it gets confusing, but not with monsters?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, Liz looks so different. Do you see she's that? There's a thing it.
1: that they lampshade in the last episode. So Liz can control fire. This this, this fire yeah. energy. It's one of the most powerful things on, on the planet. She's a channel for it. Not a vessel. She's a channel for it. Um, and she, uh, her look changes so much. Kate's look changes so much. And then they introduce uh, a character named Ashley Strode, I believe it is, as a exorcist. Late in the BPRD series, um, which is a really cool character. She's not around for a very long time, but very cool character. It's kind of bringing the series back to more of a, like, a Judeo-Christian twist, where there's like an exorcist getting demons out of yeah. people's bodies. Uh, I can flight Liz, Kate, Phoenix... Um, I conflate all of them because the art, the artists change and there's a lot of
0: fucking side well, and that, that happens. Yeah, <laughs> that is really where it gets different. Like, at least you're like, oh, okay, well, this person does look different, but she does have fire coming out of her. So I'm going to make the logical leap that this is Liz or this person's ordering everyone around. I assume it's Kate. But you're right. There are so many BPRD side characters that you get to know through a few issues. The Exodus is a really good example. And when they're drawn by different people, like, oh, and like, how many times did you confuse Phoenix and Liz in the last few I'm like, wait, is Liz on this farm? Oh, no, wait. it's She talked about having a vision. Wait, but Liz has visions. Like, I hope someone says <laughs> her name so I figure out who this yeah. is. Yeah, and they um, also, they land. They're it. like the same height, same build, same color hair. And it's yeah. like, they both wear the same types of clothes, too. It's like, can I get a good neck shot to see if there's a big cross on it or yeah, something
1: please please just be a weird alien monster so i can tell who the fuck you are um and and, and there's also a there's a thing they lampshade in the in the final art stretch where someone's like liz you look really good and she's like oh yeah my fire powers uh kept me looking 20 years younger <laughs> Because this series took 25 years to make. And so, and Liz, when she was introduced, was supposed to be like a late 20s, early 30s woman. But I think artists. Yeah, I guess now she's 60. Yeah, I think artists didn't want to gradually age Liz into that. Yeah. And they never knew how to drew, draw like a 45 year old woman. So they were just like, uh. Yeah, Liz's fire powers keep her looking young. But it's like, that's that's kind of the only real, like, hiccup.
0: Yeah, because, like, in real life, in real life, we all know that if you want to look young, go get a tan. Ideally in some sort of machine that does tanning. <laughs> You're going to look so young. You're injecting the sun into you. The sun lives forever, basically. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That's anybody, anybody. Uh, look at the average sixty-five-year-old man in Florida. Looks like a million bucks. It is a cost of the house style. However, the 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 benefits are huge because agreed. There are certain arcs. Um, Guy Davis draws a lot of the BPRD uh, war on frogs arc. Um, so there's a frog demon things. They're frogs with these tongues that if they touch you, you uh, essentially go into cardiac arrest and die. Um, That are uh, introduced literally in the first 10 pages of the first Hellboy comic. These frogs, um, they... Uh invade is like one of this these larger arcs of the BPRD series. So there's there's the the War on Frogs arc, and then we move out of the Hell on Earth uh, arc. So War on Frogs is like uh sort of an aliens riff where um the BPRD gets heavily armed and they go after them and try and find their little holes and try and blow them out of their holes, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yada yada. Um The fact that they stick with one artist, Guy Davis, for a lot of this arc is fantastic because you can read it like it's a movie, like it's a big three hour action movie. Um, And it's, you know, way longer than three hours. I don't know. Um, Then when you get to like more of the episodic stuff. So jumping back to what I was saying earlier, there's the main Hellboy arc, which is from, let's say, the early 90s to the 2000s in terms of time span. However, this real series kicks off sometime in, like, the 1880s with the
0: Witchfinder series. Is that the earliest one of the arcs? Yeah, basically. I mean, unless you count the, the sword guy, but...
1: Yeah, he's sort of a... He's sort of a... More of a flashback. You know, it's almost like Hyperborea kind of stuff in that sense. Yeah, it's, long it's stuff. It's kind of jumping back to the far distant past, and we're just getting flashes of it. Um, but... Anyway, so let's say Witchfinder is the oldest series that spends the majority of its time uh, in that time period. Um, Those are very much like you you read the Witchfinder series. You read volumes one to three, and that's a nice, clean arc. And each volume is sort of its nice, clean little story. And then you read BPRD 1948 to 1952, and each year is kind of its own arc. And then as time goes on, those arcs kind of influence other arcs. But, like, they catch you up. They give you a couple pages to remind you of what it is. And if you don't know what it is, you're probably fine. But once you get to the 90s and forward in terms of timeline, like if if the timeline is 90s and forward, the post Cavendish era, um, you really need to be reading everything <laughs> like you really need. And you almost need all, to read yeah. it in an order. Yeah, to, because you yeah, will not understand the Hell on Earth arc if you haven't read the War on Frogs arc. You just, it's, it doesn't work.
0: You told me, just right, because you, you had read the Hellboy series on its own. Hellboy leaves the BPRD about four, I'm going to use the Library Edition volumes as a, as a marker, but essentially four volumes in to it. At the time, Mignola decided that he liked Hellboy as a loner, but then he also had all these great characters, and that's when he kind of, in, in the late 90s, that's when he started doing BPRD as a separate, uh, a separate story. But I can – Peter, there's a lot in those Hellboy books, especially the last few, where, like, Hellboy is writing letters to Kate and you're just like, what? And, like – or, like, him – or Kate talking about Hellboy doesn't even know about the War on Frogs. I'm sure you were like, I don't – am I Hellboy? Because I also don't know the War on Frog. <laughs> uh, And I mentioned the Edward Grey thing where he's like, I'm Edward Grey. I am edward gray i have been and you're just like, Okay this means nothing to me yeah the mark the
1: mark, T- mark tweedsdale uh the order reading list is pretty damn good because if you read in that order you are following narrative arcs you're taking a good little yeah. you're, you're you're typically fulfilling an entire narrative arc and then you're jumping over somewhere else and there's rarely those those moments that make you feel dumb as a comic reader where you're like oh is this some shit that they introduced in the 70s and i didn't read that comic like there's rarely that shit is happening if you read it in this order because the order is basically like all right we're gonna we're gonna drop these arcs right here it's gonna seem random at first but then you're gonna get 20 pages in and be like oh okay this is why you're dropping this here or you're gonna get to the last 20 pages and be like oh so this is gonna connect back to this main arc and that that Sort of thoughtfulness of the Magnolia University uh, reading arc is is why it works so well, and it really it really helps land dramatic impact on the main series of Hellboy. I think, yeah, um, I think and, that's right, and it leads me to my biggest conflict point with the whole series. Um, so there's a main Hellboy series.
0: You're it's, a devout Christian. I'm a devout Christian, and don't like all this hell. Why could they I have like called him Heck great. Boy? Yeah. Why from they the world heck of Heck. Yeah, yeah. There's no like? swearing in the series. Uh, actually, that's the worst. <laughs>
1: There's they they say goddamn like twice in the late series, and you're like, yeah. guys. Or oh, they censor fuck also in the late series, totally and you're time. like, I just yeah. watched an alien monster tear off a dude's head.
0: Like, what do we? What are we, Who are we protecting here? I do not need anyone to be David Harbor Hellboy in any of the comic books. Like, where he. Th- Just discovered the F word around Christian parents that is using your turbo. Oh, this fucking sucks! I'm gonna go jack. You fucking piece of shit! I wanna go jack off. (laughs) It does remind me. As we're recording this, I think you should leave. Season 2 just came out. <laughs> David help Hellboy is basically the corn cob TV guy. <laughs> I didn't do fucking shit. I didn't do shit. Fuck you for saying I did shit. Like, that is... I'll kill you. <laughs> I'll kill you, you fucking piece of shit. Oh, yeah, world. So, like, that's who David Harbor Hellboy is. So I want to be very clear. I do not need the comics to swear, but yeah, the uh, the censoring of, like, as, as giant monsters rip out the earth, like, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very strange.
1: I have been Googling a bit about this because it felt like it was necessary information, and it, it, I feel like it, it's just kind of like old school comic writers who weren't allowed to swear, but they were allowed to include violence, and then the violence was allowed to escalate. <laughs> yeah, But... Then they come in like, what? Uh, like <laughs> we're on the adult ghost tour. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Can I say jizz? Can I say jizz? Jizz. Um, it feels um, a little bit yeah, like it feels a little bit like that um, in the Hellboy movie, the Hellboy twenty nineteen movie. Uh, but in the actual <laughs> series, one of the things that that made this such a comforting COVID thing was that like I. Um, never had to deal there's, there's literally like one instance. In I think entire, you're about to
0: say the exact last thing I wanted to mention. I never had to deal with
1: homophobia or sexism, except for like, yeah. like one or two instances. And one of the last issues, actually, um, one of the, uh, one of the characters calls a vampire, a Maricone, which is a, it's a Hispanic slur for gay people. Um, and it's, uh, that was, that took me off guard because I was like, oh but this was supposed to be like my covid comfort that like i didn't we weren't really like it's just about a bunch of competent people trying to destroy the worst evil on earth like that was my comfort here uh cops tend to be not very much part of the series the bprd isn't even really a government org it's like funded by the un like (laughs) it's fairly muted in terms of like it's politics and then the in terms of uh sex stuff Almost no even allusions to sexual assault, um. In terms of sexism, women characters are just kind of like it's almost it's almost like the Ripley approach where you're like, uh, well, we wrote this character as a man and then we changed all the dialogues that was about a woman. <laughs> like, it's not. It's, I don't think it particularly approaches femininity at all. Um, I think it's it's it, <laughs> but it,
0: it works, you know. That that's actually what what, the last thing I want to mention before we go into a little bit more detail on some of the actual arcs and comics and stuff is that like it is refreshing and also a good template for um, a lot of really um, shitty arguments that I think people like ourselves see online as we kind of say like, hey, you can actually do horror without sexual violence and, and rape and stuff like that. And I think there's a lot of people that disagree with that. Um, maybe not the type of dis- not not the type of people that thankfully we have on the show or stuff like that. But like I, Peter and I have been pretty vocal from the start of the show that there's almost no good movies, even drama movies, that feature rape as a plot point or sexual assault or sexual violence as a plot point, and um and even less good horror movies that just use it. And instead, what it ends up being is a crutch to make things scarier and. This is a 25-year arc that started in the mid-90s. that in the edgelordiest in, of Lordier eras. In a time when, uh, as someone who recently read the Preacher series and, and really was mixed on the whole thing, like... That no one would have had a problem with, but on top of that like again when part of the reason like stuff like preacher and other comic books used it at the time is to say it's it's Peter and I have always been of the um, interpretation that it's a lazy way to increase stakes at the cost of uh A lot of other things to your story and narrative arc, and I think that's how people see it. Like, oh, what's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, sexual violence—that will scare people, and so it it gets used really lazily. And I think that the rare examples where it 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 works well uh, recently, a good example is like revenge doesn't justify all the lazy hacks that throw in it in as a as an afterthought or another thing. Here's a twenty five year series, ten thousand plus pages that goes through all these different side things and stuff like that that it f- is filled with every possible horror thing from Lovecraftian <laughs> to vampires... Gothic horror, to like,
1: cosmic horror, mythological yeah. horror, some shit that Mike Mignola just thought up when he couldn't sleep one night horror.
0: Yeah, fantasy horror. Like, you, you name it, it's there. And not once in any of these books does it have to rely on uh, even the implication of sexual violence as a way to up the stakes... And it is one of the best, like, all-around horror things I've ever experienced, Uh, mainly because it has such imaginative minds at work and has all that – and and it has such a long – uh, long arc to explore all these different things that it finds interesting. And again, not one book is there like, Oh yeah, Liz got raped or something like that. And that's why she's especially sad. Like they make her people affected. They make people affected by the horror. They make people really sad and they never have to rely on the hackiest and most like um, problematic uh, a way to increase the stakes of, at the behest of all your other characters and everything else, and and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess my point is is that if if like if the fucking Hellboy series of comic books never needs to rely on it, uh, chances are nothing ever needs to have it. You can think of better and more creative ways to increase stakes without uh, having to uh, sexually uh, attack your characters. <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I think that you can the, the, focusing on the psychological damage of Liz just as as being a person who um went through, lived the life she did, um, and then is expected just because of a sort of blessing curse placed on her head, the control of fire, like pyro pyrokinesis. That's like a dramatic enough thing. We don't need to just chuck in sexual assault and there's there's times where she's you know she's away from her team she's often a she's in it she's in a trailer park she's It's in to... a
0: trailer park at one point pretending to be normal and there's like all these threats of of like i say it was refreshing because like how many times peter did you think like everything I know about genre fiction is the time that they introduce sexual violence as a threat yeah they never do. Yeah, not one.
1: Yeah, and even there's a, there's an arc involving a character in the Ape Sapien series. I believe her name is Grace. Um, who she is, she's been kidnapped by a guy who thinks he's protecting her, and in and, and the post apocalypse of of the Hellboy universe, and he thinks that he's protecting her and all that. And apart from her being like, uh, you know, handcuffed to a bed and to a chair at times, like I don't even think it particularly implicates. That he's sexually I, I don't think it does at all no. i think he just no. genuinely thinks of her as like he's she's the princess and he needs to keep her safe but in reality he's a you know an abusive stri- like very sick person um
0: yeah agreed let's do so i think the way that this makes sense is we're not gonna necessarily go through chron- chronology order I think let's talk about I was hellboy. Read every page, let's talk but... about the let's talk about <laughs> panel one page one hellboy we see a castle panel two castles closer now so, I think we're just going to talk about Hellboy. We're going to talk about BPRD, uh, the two main arcs. We'll talk about the ending of the series and then, like, ping our, instead of um, stuff we missed or little details, we'll ping on any notes in the little mini series that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Does that make sense? Does that work? That works for me. For you, Peter?
1: Yeah. I feel like
0: cool, so when we come back, panel
1: one, page one, yeah we need to we're we, word one we inherently need to limit our scope, otherwise this will be a twenty i'm gonna episode.
0: try not to talk about any specific issue i'm gonna try to talk about i'm just saying this for everyone listening too. you can go check to see if we accomplished our goal by how long this episode is, but uh, we don't know, you know you, you presumably you're it. a you're a phoenix uh in the in the b p d parlor but we'll find out if we do that successfully relatively soon when well, we're back after these uh music cues which are going to be hard to think of go straight to Hellboy. no music straight to Hellboy.
1: it was a dusty old night and i'm the first to admit it My memory is chosen to omit it
0: great news no alternate tagline but i'll do a recap of the whole series (laughs) but yeah do a 90 second uh i can i actually can
1: probably do a recap of the series overall
0: i don't think that makes sense so let's let me
1: let me do just like a quick let me do just like a quick like top level scan of the series i'm not even gonna touch on anything so but i think i think if we do them in order we're gonna get to that yeah but just let me do this thing um
0: Okay, yeah, do the thing.
1: um, The Hellboy series is about Hellboy, who was a demon awoken um, in the 1940s. He was raised as a boy by Trevor Broom in the BPRD. BPRD is a uh, sort of an extra government organization. It's eventually sort of funded by the UN uh, much later, but at this time, they're investigating strange occurrences largely in the US uh, and eventually internationally. Um. And over the years, more and more people are brought into the fold, like Abe Sapien is brought in. Uh, he is found in the basement of a building and uh, is assigned a sort of name as a joke to, because he was found the year that, uh, excuse me, uh, his his uh, tube that he was in uh, was uh, from the year that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Uh, Liz Sherman is brought into the team. Liz Sherman uh, is a uh pyro who uh scorched her whole family and an entire party of of kids um without realizing it um when she was a kid um who else uh kate is brought on to the team she's like an NYU professor who's really good at at lore and research they bring on a homunculus um roger who becomes a big part of the series they bring on uh, damio uh, who is there to help fight the War on Frogs. He's sort of like an old military expert, but he's like a classic werewolf kind of character, except for he's a werepanther. Um, inc- incredibly violent if you can't suppress this, this, this sort of demonic possession. Um, And so the series starts from Hellboy's sort of uh, adventures throughout the 90s, fighting uh, Hecate, fighting again, uh, who's a, a sort of, Uh, demonic figure who goes back to the the start of civilization. Um, He fights, uh, you know, witches and and vampires and other sort of gothic threats. Um, However, during this series, we split off into the BPRD, uh, who's fighting sort of more global threats. And these threats are visible to the public. The War on Frogs and then the the BPRD Hell on Earth. The, the Earth is getting gradually just more and more beaten down by um, these frog creatures, which almost f- functions almost as like a zombie plot. They like pop up somebody somewhere and then people get turned into frogs. But people are like in Montana are, like, well, at least we're not like, you know, Chicago with their frog problem. Or, you know, uh, people are sort of living normal lives. Uh, but when we get into the BPRD Hell on Earth arc, uh, people cannot live normal lives. Um, because we're now facing the war on frogs, uh, ha- has ended. We're now facing this war on the Agdru hem and the Agdru jihad, which are a, uh, cosmic Lovecraftian threat. The Agdru jihad is this big seven, uh, seven headed, uh, dragon in space, um, that's being called upon by different, uh, various groups. Uh, the Agdru hem or the children of the Agdru jihad, um, and there's all these monsters on Earth just gradually, piece by piece, tearing apart normal civilization. Uh, and then if we jump back in time, there's characters like Edward Gray, which is a witch finder in the Victorian era uh, who gets involved in this. And then uh, we get to see Trevor Broom, who's introduced and murdered kind of immediately in the Hellboy arc. Him going through the 1940s into the 1950s with a young Hellboy who's still kind of learning the ropes. And uh, the, the Trevor Broom um, is kind of trying to teach him goodness and install in goodness, while people are very apprehensive to that. And he's fighting various threats, such as, you know, vampires, uh, you know, nuclear-age threats uh, resulting from nuclear-age tests, kind of tearing dimensional rifts. rifts. Um, and as well, there's some side characters who have kind of one-offs, Um, like there's a Frankenstein character, um, who, who has a one-off, uh, and all of this overall is giving us a sense of the creation of man and the creation of universe. Um, and all the way through a series of prophecies that Liz, Hellboy, and Abe are going to fulfill or refuse to fulfill. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of like the overall
0: arc and they can, they can delay it. Yeah. But they can't necessarily, and they can change the form it takes, but that idea of you can't ultimately stop it because everything that that got got us there, like, uh, was, was done before you were born.
1: A hundred percent. And that feeds into the final arc, which is the devil you know. I'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, there's these sort of prophecies, but they're vague. They're visions, but they're vague. But everyone kind of knows that this doomsday is coming. The question is, how... When and can we stop it? Uh, and what what's and you know, what does it look like? Those questions become kind of like you know uh, fuzzy wuzzy, uh, and then when it finally comes together, you're like, yeah, I mean, that crazy guy in the war on frogs arc wasn't wrong. <laughs> Liz, Liz, <laughs> no. Liz
0: is well, that's a big that's part of also the ending. big thing, right? Is that the the idea of the universe and uh, race rising and then getting destroyed and replaced is actually like, again, it's it's an internal recurrence motif to some, to some extent, right? Like, that's happened before. So, there's a lot of these people throughout this entire arc that are actually like, are less concerned with the when or the how, but what everything looks like afterwards, right? The world's gonna end, and it's gonna be replaced by something new. Like, it's it's in some ways like we we meet over 25 years of publishing a bunch of timeshare salesmen. Like, how do you get it on the ground floor of this new world after everyone's dead? And, and that is like, you know, somewhat unclear. And by the time there's clarity on it, we're almost done with the series. And even then, I think it's a little bit surprising, which is great because you essentially have this 10-year misdirect that seems like it makes sense because – the, the, the Black Flame and the War on Frogs got it 90% right, but missed the last
1: 10%. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, it, it, what, what is nice about that is that it doesn't feel like the series is, is jerking you around. The se- no. <laughs> when, you, when you come back to the ending, you say, you know, they did tell us all this. You know, this, this makes me sad. Yeah, we, might- knew, we knew where this was
0: going now that we're there. And Mike McNoll has been very clear. He has a great note at the end of BPRD, uh, The Devil You Know. I don't know. Did you read it, Peter? Oh, absolutely. I wanted to know immediately. I, assume, I, I su- wanted to hear that big like exhale. <laughs> and he's like, so now you guys know why
1: I was doing all that weird shit like five years yeah. ago, ten
0: years ago. <laughs> and he, he has something similar in the Hellboy in Hell arc, too, where he's like, I knew where the Hellboy story ended. And then he and then he does it again, and, like, I, you know, I didn't know how many issues it was going to take from there. I didn't know what arc was going to get it there, but he's been pretty consistent that he's, like, this is where it was all leading, even if I didn't have everything mapped out. And he was the – he's the first person to say, like, as I got interested in stuff, like, I would go down rabbit holes, not to dead ends, but just because, like, hey, I really like that Lobster Johnson character. I want to do some Lobster Johnson stuff, and – or I really like Edward Gray, or I really want more of uh, Koshi the Deathless and stuff like that, and and um, you know it it didn't it didn't subtract or or add necessarily to the arc, but it he was always following uh, a muse to some extent with with a goalpost in mind, and let's also note I think having a goalpost in mind, but knowing that theoretically, like I need. I know where this is all headed, so I can do whatever I want to do throughout the way. Um, it it worked really well in this format. It's not like the 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 example that I think is really famously derided is the How I Met Your Mother example, right? Where they like they had a goalpost in mind that was a twist, and as such, they needed to keep pushing through. And they were, you know, there's all this. It's a producing a television show and producing a. A comic book is different. So by the time they got to their big twist that they planned and filmed in season two, the show had changed so much that it didn't make any sense. And that's something that M- M- and people hated it, rightfully so. Even though I, I gave up earlier, I I was like, uh, the the f- reading what happened in the finale was like, oh, I made the exact right choice to leave somewhere in season seven. But this is you know because I do think that can that can actually handicap or, or hinder. Um, uh, uh, if you're like, well, I know it's going here, but it was more just like, I know that these are the beats, right? And I can get to those beats or change the beats. It's not so specific that I need to say the black flame does this and the, the Vril suit, you know, Sludgehammer 44 is involved in this. Like, but I do know that we're going to get to this point. And how I fit all the – and I know that this is a red herring so I know how to treat this because I know it's not this. And and ultimately it is I think one of the weird success stories of having like a story uh, – a series bible that is malleable enough to to have a level of consistency as you go back and reading it while not being strict or specific enough to um, to make it seem like – Hey you you went through with an ending that your story and your characters had moved well past.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing that's fun about this this universe is that it, it's sort of poetic and flexible in that way. So, yeah. Um there were there were numerous apocalypses averted so uh not to i don't know if this is a spoiler but there's a book called hellboy in hell so i don't really feel it is hellboy dies a couple times in the series but he like die dies um in hellboy uh it's uh sort of storms i believe it's volume six um and he he die dies as a sacrifice to kill um nimwe And, uh, this, this massive serpent, um.
0: And restart the world tree.
1: Yes. And it's, it's a massive event. And then Hellboy in Hell is him melancholy walking around Hell trying to figure out if there's any, anything left, any blood left in his, his, uh, his destiny. Um, because at that point he rejected his destiny so fully. He rejected this Arthurian crown that he was supposed to carry that, um. You know, he's kind of just like wandering as like a melancholy figure because you know you reject your your destiny, you reject greatness. Like you are somewhat forced to to accept mediocrity and hell. And this vision is this glorious like, and not glorious, but like this gloriously depressing sort of gray uh, uh, smash up of houses. And it's not it's not the it's not a hell torture dimension. It's it's more just like this like place where lost souls land.
0: It's around that time that Magnolia starts drawing Hellboy more gray than red, right? Like he, for a lot of the things, he is like a dull, pasty color, not the bright red like Ron Perlman version that we see in Del Toro movies. And but then he spends so much of his time as Hell, besides being sad and drinking, and not even really being sad, just being melancholy, I guess, and drinking. Then he He's goes around and just face, kills
1: because he was like, "I did." the Yeah, right but he thing eventually and, gets tricked you
0: know. into killing Satan and Lucifer, like all the, all the big devil names you know which are different people uh he, he ends up killing them all and then all the demons are free and hell is empty and there's no ruler in hell and that's kind of where it it ends which is so one of the things i talked i'm going to back up a sec one of the things i talked about cuz i if you've listened to some episodes of the show you know that like i just like the visual language of comic books was was challenging for me to get into cuz i didn't really read them as a kid besides like Calvin and Hobbes stuff um, and so the couple times I made attempts to like read Kingdom Come or Watchmen or the Killing Joke, I just was having trouble holding my interest and I made a concerted effort now about a couple years ago to be like, hey I feel like I'm missing this I this th- the thing that I'm missing in comic books that I don't get from movies or TV shows is this idea of a long spanning continuity where things can have uh, changes that aren't, um, that aren't uh, tied to some level of casting or budget or stuff like that. Like, one of the reasons why TV shows don't make major changes uh, to, like, a story dynamic or plot dynamic is not just because, like, they're scared to do it, although uh, that is part of it. Like, will people turn away? Will people turn away if we change the status quo too much? It's also, like, it's expensive to recast. It's expensive to change sets. It's difficult to... You know, there can be hurt feelings on that stuff. Like, it's tough to really change the status quo on a television show too too much and be successful. Where comics can not just have these long-running things, they can upend the status quo without feeling like that actor was snubbed, or a fan favorite's gone, or they have to literally fire working people, or they have to get a new infusion of budget to create new sets, and so that was what I always felt like I was missing out on. So it's one of the reasons why I, I really have been going from larger series to larger series, going through stuff like Berserk and, and, and others. And I mentioned the Transformers stuff I'm going through that's just 15 years, uh, 15 years continuity, because it is the one thing that I couldn't get. And Hellboy is a great example of something that goes through, like, status quo changes that would only be possible in a comic book series, right, where... Um essentially the apocalypse comes to earth about halfway through the whole thing. Like it it's it it, it people have to manage and fight through, but like when Hellboy dies Peter, England disappears. Right? Mm-hmm. Because the world tree covers it in a protective thing, and throughout the rest of the series, this is relatively like a third in, England is gone toll towns get destroyed through these apocalypses that they push back like by the by the last like third of the series like earth is already like a apocalyptic wasteland with monsters and like these f- these remnants of superpowers band together to try to figure out what if anything they can save left and like that's the kind of thing that just is not possible on that scale in any other medium and i i, I applaud like and i love the way that this whole the the like a lesser series would have saved its apocalypse for like the last issue. Right. This thing just evolves into a series of escalating apocalypses for about the back half of it. And that is something that really kind of kept me drawn in and compelled to keep reading just because like I was so absorbed by how I was getting to read from a plot mach- machination standpoint, something I had never read before or like nothing i had ever read before.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, <laughs> the nice thing is that hiring different artists and hiring different writers, like, you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, does Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth want to come back for a fifth movie or does, uh, Chris Evans want to come back for a fifth movie? They can just be like, all right, well that writer left. Cause I didn't want to work with them anymore. Cause he was a creep. Um, now we're moving on to, uh, this writer, like, um, Let's wrap up this series fast cuz I'm done working with this writer like you kind of have a flex Yeah, experience.
0: like I I mean that's a great like it's one of the reasons I really like though the Marvel movies cuz they have this budget to tell these bigger stories. But but you're 100% right. Like Iron Man and Captain America not being in movies theoretically after Avengers Endgame. I liked their endings in those movies, but those were not moves that were necessarily structured because of a creative vision they were structured because we ran out of our picture deal with chris evans and robert downey jr and they want to move on where a comic book is still able to give you the visual flourish that just a novel can't without having to worry about the limitations of an act. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, Hellboy as a cartoon character, although this would make a really good, um, Grant Morrison. Well, that's basically the plot of that, um, uh, Grant Morrison's animal man, but theoretically a comic book character can't quit the comic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, because, uh, similar to what we were talking about before the break, um, there's no character that's like a um, obvious uh, offensive character. There's no character that's like clearly, you know, stereotypical in an offensive manner. There's no characters that like really just need to go because the times have changed since 1983. Um, yeah. They don't have to like boot anybody off. They just give everybody an arc. And if 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 Mignola is sick of a character, or doesn't have anything else to say with them. He murders them. Um, So I guess that is sort of a Game of Thrones thing, where it's like a character's arc came to a natural culmination. Um, I would say the only time that feels rushed, the entire series feels rushed, the way some last uh, TV show seasons is, is um, The Devil You Know. Um, The Devil
0: You Know... And it was rushed. It was rushed. It was originally supposed to be a, you know, an five basically five like volumes which essentially amounts to 400 plus pages each yeah so it's supposed to be a 2000 page arc that ended up a 400
1: page yeah arc. and and while i while i think it's successful what it sets out to do um it needed more runway for certain moments to hit and there are moments where you're like like leonid is a character he's not a huge character but we have been following him for thousands of pages like Leonid dies off screen, like, <laughs> yeah. like. Whereas, like, you know, if if Mignola had time, he would have had him fall and yada yada yada. Like, we would have had a whole sequence of him having a last stand or something. But instead, it's like this character that like proves proves to be rather important to the plot ends up not being important. He just kind of gets dispensed with. And I love that the last arc is so bloodthirsty because, you know, like. Characters exist well, I mean, for the Warlands. purposes of the comic book, and most of these characters yeah. are. The last arc is called Ragnarok, um, and uh, in in the uh, you know the the Nordic tradition in the Ragnarok, all the big heroes die um, as a sacrificial sort of thing in this massive war uh and so they can move on to the next stage of life they died honorable heroes they died yeah. in battle yada yada um and so what's fun about this last arc is like even the characters that you don't really like that much get like a cool twisty ending um i will say that there's there's some stuff in here where i'm like they needed more runway for Devin being a douchebag they needed more runway yep. for um uh Ashley Strode's character is the exorcist in her death because basically she gets the most respect. She gets more respect than Abe
0: because they keep flashing back to her skull. Um <laughs> Abe Well, a- I mean Abe, Abe is, is the only one that survives, right? Like literally the only person on the planet that survives. Uh I mean he doesn't really survive.
1: He turns into eggs. He gets to have a baby and then dies.
0: <laughs> I mean, he survives in that he goes on in some capacity and literally no one else does yeah i mean i guess you could make the case that hellboy does because hellboy's blood fertilizes the eggs
1: yes yes um so i would say did
0: you know that uh in the hellboy universe the whole arc was leading up to hellboy being the semen to abe sapien's eggs i
1: i didn't i didn't realize that until the end though spoiler it does it does end up becoming it does work A, like, fairly poetic thing where, for a little bit, and and through the Abe Sapien arcs, which I think are semi-controversial among fans, because the Abe Sapien arcs are largely Abe in the wilderness, uh, very much like Christ. Uh, Don't worry, Abe and Hellboy... Very similar characters, very melancholy about their past. They don't know much about their past. They don't know about their fate. They want to reject their future, um,
0: much like Jesus Christ. They
1: don't. They don't know. They have. Famously. N- they have. They can perform miracles. Um, they perform changes. They die. They come back. They're very. There's. There's a lot of Christ allegory in both those characters, and it t- to the point that at times you're like, does the story need two Jesus's? And in the end arc, it kind of justifies why they needed both of those characters. But for a long time, you're like, we already saw Hellboy being sad and wandering and drinking with ghosts and stuff. And now Abe is wandering the post-apocalypse and hanging out with rednecks. Like, do we need two?
0: So here's why I think it works, though, Peter. So they actually are opposites, right? Um, Much like the the semen and the egg, as the old saying. And water and fire. Um, Well, beyond that, though, like Hellboy, from the second he's in the world, the reason he exists in the world, is is told that he has a major destiny to the end of the world. He's important, and he spends every moment that he's basically confronted with this attempting to say, I just want to be a normal person. Whereas Abe Sapien is basically, like, garbage discarded that the BPRD ends up finding, for, for, for as far as we know, right? He's and some shit he in the basement is, that
1: they're like, well, yeah. let's see what we can do with
0: this. He's ultimately nothing, and then instead of Hellboy, who is told explicitly, here's your part in all this... Your hand's going to be a thing. You got your crown. You got your horns. These are all going to be important things. You got to go do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. Abe, Abe ends up being just as important as Hellboy, but he ha- no one tells him shit. He basically spends the entire series slowly understanding that, wait, am I important in a bigger thing? And other characters start telling him this in a way that is terrifying to him, right? Because they think that he's... Going to bring about, you know, like the that's that's the whole misdirect with the plague of frog things that we mentioned. That he is the perfected version of this monster that's out there, you know, not just destroying the human race, but um, but like devouring and torturing and killing the human race, and and that he's he's basically their Jesus and stuff like that. But what so he has to spend like all of his arcs are about him discovering the importance that he plays in the in the end of the world and the next life and it, it really is like a mirror vision of hellboy who you know Abe doesn't realize until the end of the series what part he plays Hellboy knows from the beginning and spends the entire thing avoiding it until the very end when he's forced to so they're almost like opposite ends of like a waning triangle like, yeah you know, it's, it's almost yin and the yang
1: middle. they're di- they're not yeah. they're not antagonistic opposites they're diametric opposites right like they're they're yeah they're, they're, they're they balance each other out acid
0: yeah, so well I think that's I why know. some fans some some of the criticism that I don't agree with is like this idea that like, a, becoming such a crucial part is is something that, to I think a lot of people feels some stupid, like, tacky thing they added to give it to Jesuses or to make a, a separate series work, where for me, it really looks like, no, like, you're just looking at it wrong. Like, one starts at the top and tries his best to get to the bottom, and one starts at the bottom and ends up through trying to discover what these little, like, things like, no one comes out and tells Abe, Hey, just to let you know, you're actually hugely important. You know, he doesn't have oh, but a, a yeah, but, destiny uh, the, to reject. Some people do say that, but they're either their
1: motivations are evil, and that influences the right people to think they're wrong. So uh, the Black yeah. Flame says... Uh, yeah, man. I, I looked. You know, it makes sense. These these frog people that I control in the War on Frogs arc. These frog people I control. Um, you know, I've had some premonitions myself. It just makes sense. You're supposed to lead the world in the next generation. Uh, do you mind being a god? Um, and then Devin, who's a BPRD, you know, sort of middle management guy at this point, goes, "Oh, Hellboy wasn't the beast of the apocalypse." Abe Sapien Apes, was the Beast of yeah. the Apocalypse. And this becomes a big thing in the final arcs is that like Devin doesn't trust Abe. He hates Abe. He wants to collect. He wants to bring Abe back in. But like as a, a freak to be studied and, and controlled and maybe even dissected. Um, but, you know, Devin doesn't isn't enti- like I was saying earlier, like Devin isn't entirely out of line there. Like literally like people have told him time and time again, like dark evil people but like people have told him time and time again that like hey ape has a as is going to be part of this new world he's going to be the the you know the birth of this new this new planet um yeah and that kind of that kind of that kind of uh storytelling is like really crucial to the story because like honestly in my heart i think magnola he likes lovecraft stuff a lot of lovecraft stuff starts in the sea I think Mignola likes all sorts of weird alien-looking creatures. Mignola liked the idea of weird frog monsters and these frog monsters that can turn other people into frog monsters. And then later, he was like, hey, it's kind of weird that my weird fishy Lovecraft, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, Dagon guy, kind of weird that that guy looks a lot like the frog guys, and then he made those those parts join like in my heart of hearts i i know that 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 was not intentional from the start it's just that he was like well there's a bunch of water maybe
0: i i don't know like when you get to like the garden of eyes arc stuff and like the early bprd plague of frog stuff like i don't know a lot of that kind of came back in a lot of really interesting ways with like why uh abe is actually not like the what was his what was his quote-unquote human name
1: uh, not Lyle Crawford. Um, uh, call, Lang- call Langford. Call,
0: yeah. That he's not actually like an experiment gone wrong, um, and turned into a fish man, but like he's not actually Langdon Call. Like he is an example of. I don't know. Like, I I think there's seeds enough in there to say that there's, like, a germ of something. Maybe he didn't have – I would actually think the opposite. I think maybe he thought Abe was going to be more important and then built the war of – like, the war of frogs a little more on that. Although I do get that the frog monsters initially are in – but they say something – but hold on. But they say something to Abe. The frog monsters say something to Abe in the very first series, right? Like, the Cavendish Hall – frog monster say something to Abe that kind of alludes to all this. And and Mignola calls that back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's true That's true. that Abe just says, you know, I couldn't help but see a bit of myself in them, which could be just literally a reference to them both being amphibious.
0: Maybe. I mean, Mignola specifically, whether he's full of shit or not. And I guess we do know one specific instance where Mignola is full of shit about his involvement in Hellboy 2019. He says that, like, he... That was intentional in his final, like uh, uh, the devil you know, note that he leaves. That that this fulfills where he was going with this sense. You know, the the Abe recognized himself in the frog monsters in Cavitus,
1: and there's references as well throughout the series to Dagon, um, which you know, as one of the things, the strengths of the series is that it kind of pulls in and reinterprets Christian, Hindu uh nordic just all mythologies basically into into kind of one and they're sort of reinterpreted and and you know placed in different eras and sometimes they have monsters for hellboy to fight when he goes to japan but sometimes it's just sort of like a general reference like well this god does exist but they're just not part of the story
0: um yeah there's no jesus or like god or angels at any point in this there's definitely a hell there's, there's a hell but it's yeah it's just a, a place yeah i think i think the implication is that essentially everyone dies and goes... like there's not a heaven that people are going to uh you either stop existing or you go to hell right yeah yeah i think that that i may be misremembering I, yeah something. i think that you're sorted uh,
1: as you're sorted as weird fish people in hell it's sort of more <laughs> of like a it's 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 not even judeo-christian it's more of like a judeo thing like hell is almost like a sh- a shale or shoal I, I i forget how to pronounce it but it, it's just like an underworld it's not It's not particularly a torturous underworld, though. But the demons... Like, there is a Satan. But there is a Satan, though, which is, like, a Christian thing. Like I guess there's not... I said there was a Lucifer, but there's, like... a torturer, and there's references to, like, you know, classic mythology of people being tortured in hell. But you maybe get the sense that, like, most people, they just get... They're just sort of, like, you know, lost souls in hell... Um but some people end up being pulled aside for torture for demons. Yeah. It's it's hard to make Yeah, to make well, I'm actually
0: I'm actually fine they like, don't try to square the circle with like uh with having to have a uh like a Christian god or subversion. version of, Like I'm I'm totally fine with them not doing that. But also the like,
1: happens in this universe, right? Like um Yeah,
0: there's, and there's, there's a lot there's, of old powers. like f- folklore, right? Like there's the I mean, um like, a lot of the different gods and monsters are, like, based on non-Christian spiritual and historical folklore and stuff like that. I will say, though, like, to the point of the making up stuff, like, I do feel like Magnola um, calls out when he just goes and says, oh, yeah, that was supposed to be silly, but I went and did something with that. Like, The Visitor is a really good example of – there's an early um, Hellboy comic where they find all these dead imprisoned bodies in this castle and one of them is an, is clearly an alien robot guy. <laughs> And Mignola then wrote a comic about the about why that guy was in that cell. But in the intro for that, Peter, he's like, look, people asked me for 20 years what's going on with the alien. I didn't have anything, but we worked up this story that we think fits really well. And it's one, everything of else. Hellboy side it's one of the best Hellboy side arcs. It's one of the best one-offs. Agreed. But that's – I think that is actually him saying like, hey, I had this germ of something that I thought was interesting. And then we developed it because I was sick of getting asked about it for 20 years where I I get that like that reference is different than – the frog people talking to Abe Sapien in uh in in Cavendish Hall. But I do feel like he's been he was pretty honest when he's like, Yeah, I was interested in where that went and I went, fuck it, let's go tell that story.
1: Yeah, and uh that's kind of uh that's kind of the strength of Vignola's as, as a as a writer, as an overall story control guy, is that he like left himself breathing room, right? I think that's the ultimate Yeah and he has enough visual flourishes to that how I met your mother was like well, we have to get back to this point, this very confining, restrictive point, whereas for him, he was like, there's gonna be all these loose prophecies, and, you know, prophecies are gonna be denied, and, you know, uh, some of these prophecies are gonna be bullshit, and then you get to the end, and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it's it really did seem like you knew exactly where you were going, however, like, I you left you yourself in a breathing hard... room so you could be like, you know... I wanted to do this next week, but actually it needs to happen in five
0: years. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I like the idea of, like, new executives taking over at CBS for the How I Met Your Mother bozos, and they're like, alright, yeah, can't wait to figure out, when we get to that point where we meet the mother, and they're like, yeah, I know, we gotta get to that point where we kill the mother. No. You, you mean meet the mother? Yeah, we gotta meet her, but it's also important that we kill her. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> what what why is that where you're going with the show is it is yeah, it possible the mother could come. have been in, a,
1: in another room absolutely not is it possible the mother could have been on vacation is it possible that the story is being told to these kids because the mother and the father have split up and then the end of the show is them getting back together
0: nah <laughs> that, could, that could be something hold on so look kids i know your mom died I gotta tell you, every person I fucked between the ages of twenty two and thirty two, and then at the end I got, and then I gotta ask permission if I could fuck your aunt more. Anyways,
1: that's a plot. This that's a is plot what, mechanic for a two hour movie, a two hour rom com. It's not a plot mechanic
0: for a yeah. dozens nine of years. hours.
1: God damn,
0: <laughs> nine years they they had to like meet a killer and then and then make the whole. <laughs> the whole Peter, the whole story I go how I wonder is Bob is Ted Mosy asking his kids if he can fuck someone. <laughs>
1: That's not the that Please! Rob. Can I fuck your Aunt Robin? Please! If I tell you a
0: story for a long time, can I go fuck your aunt? I'm gonna bring
1: the trumpet, please! They're having a really hard time at work. No one wants to buy my architecture.
0: Yeah, like when it's framed like that, how sad is how I met your mother, a lonely 60-year-old man whose wife died, spends what must be weeks telling his kids about how much he likes having sex with people but how much he likes his mom best so that he can go fuck their aunt <laughs> 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 ba, 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 yeah, they should, ba, ba, they should call ba,
1: the show ba. How I Fucked Your Aunt Robin and I Will Fuck Again
0: <laughs> How My Kids Let Me Fuck my aunt, like Their Aunt
1: <laughs> I, the show should have been called I May Destroy Your Image of Your Father
0: <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid show! Oh, I can't believe I they were like. Any Hold on. To
1: that. we're gonna do another one, but with women. And then I think Kristen Bellati was immediately <laughs> like, "I don't want to be a part of this shit." And they're like, "Hire someone that's similarly talented." And then the show that they were like, mm, "No, this isn't. This is not good."
0: Yeah, what a fun story. How I met your dad and died so he could fuck the person he liked more. I guess. Right.
1: That is, like, I know people give the Game of Thrones finale a lot of shit. And a lot of the Game of Thrones finale's problems are... It's because terrible. of timing like i actually think a lot of the main de- the main decisions they make are totally fine it's just that they don't have enough like runway so it's just like it's just a plane just yeah it's, it's a, it's place a, it's a rough landing for every single plot arc it's just like you going oh it's, god did it crash a little <laughs> are the tires okay
0: for every single I, I agree with you it's actually the lost problem which actually this actually does relate to what we're talking about it's the lost problem where they're like in season three they set an ending point but because the ending point was a big secret, they tried to save all of their cards for the last season. so you end up with something that they had a hundred episodes to plot out or whatever, fifty episodes to plot out, and then it ends up feeling weirdly rushed and poorly executed because they didn't want to give away any of the game before that uh yeah, a hundred percent yeah that that actually which is which is something where that that actually they avoided the Magnoliverse because again he doesn't have to make a deal with the studio to say, okay, well the cast isn't going to stay here forever and their contracts are going to get more. He was like, now he did rush it a little bit because he's like, I, I need to stop working with this guy who has producing credit. Cause he's a, he's a sex creep. But, um, you know, that was the only thing that he still had all the, you know, he could have kept going for five years and he is in a different capacity, but like, he wasn't held down to this thing where it's like, okay, it's a weekly release. Everyone's going to talk about it. We can't get to certain plot points in a time that makes sense because it'll give away too much of the game or get too close to the ending or take away from the big, massive thing we're going to do in the final episodes and stuff like that. Instead, you end up just going like, okay, well, her turn from redeemer to fascist murderer happened in a night. I've spent seven years with her. Yeah, yeah, she had one bad argument. She's like, I gotta kill everyone. Where like, but because they wanted people rooting for Danny, like they could have easily made that arc work. They literally
1: needed easily. like two more episodes, and I would have bought it.
0: Just remind me of just remind Or me spend of, a little bit of season, uh, an earlier season with her starting to do more explicitly shitty things. But they're like, we need her villain. But turn she's to so be a hot, you forget about it. Yeah, but they wanted her villain turn to be a surprise, but ultimately what it ends up being is like, well, you can't have a surprise with someone we've spent that much time with because it just seems out of character, not a surprise. <laughs> yeah, let's uh so let's back to, back to Hellboy whatever that is.
1: Uh, but um, I think we were I think we we're on the right track, which is that we're talking about I a series, too. we were talking about a series end and how uh it's a very controversial and very fraught thing and like even in people's favorite shows people are like the last episode sucks um there's very few shows yeah. that people are like universally they beloved the last episode seinfeld is starting to get like reappraised as like a fine great final episode um, I'm convinced that Simpsons doesn't know how to... Simpsons is just not stopping because they don't want to write a final episode so that they don't get yelled at <laughs> for the next
0: one. Oh no, years. all the funny writers quit 20 years ago. How, how are we supposed to write a finale? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> how, how to write a one more college. Where, where, let's, let's just do one where Bart uh, or Homer tells Bart about the time he went to college to see uh, fucking LCD sound system. Lock. I don't know. <laughs> Because of course,
1: Homer um, went to college in the mid two thousands. No, now,
0: yeah, I'm older than Homer. Yeah. So um. So
1: my point here is that this to. the series finale is actually, uh, I think, Aaron, you would agree with me, is very satisfying. It brings a lot of pieces together. It's it's,
0: it's extremely satisfying. It it, it, so it actually takes,
1: but the all the decisions are made and in, in a very courteous manner. And when we get there, it actually feels like the comic is like. This isn't Hell on Earth. This whole book, the devil you know, the entire uh, omnibus of it, is entirely based in we're bringing all the plot lines to an end. No no plot lines exist think, after this.
0: Agreed. I, well, yeah. um, I also think it, it actually serves in a weird way as an epilogue, right? So, <clears throat> really quickly, we talked a lot about how Hellboy kind of gets this place where Hellboy quits um, because Mike Magnolo was like, I'm more interested in Hellboy just being sad. So he can't be sad if he's He's better high-fiving. as a
1: wanderer than like, he's,
0: you know. He's better as a wanderer. He, he's
1: one of the a member of the X-Men or the Avengers, right?
0: Yeah, so he he follows his own arc which we talked about he ends up in hell killing everyone just kind of sitting and drinking at the end. BPRD starts dealing with threats that get bigger and bigger, which is these frogs people which kind of culminates with this like uh, this Black Flame guy who we had seen before in uh, Lobster Johnson. And we get we eventually get an origin story of him who is trying to bring about that next world as one of the many people throughout time that his, or, or throughout the, the series that is trying to bring about the apocalypse and Hellboy's piece in it. Black, Where Black Flame is different than the Rasputin is that he sees Abe Sapien as the key to it as opposed to Hellboy. Uh, which is, again, really good at coming together at the end, that uh, Rasputin had a part of it, Black Flame had a part of it. They were both right and wrong about where it was all going and who was ultimately going to bring about the next uh, the next version of existence. But you end up having, like, essentially this Hell on Earth arc. Normally when a apocalyptic arc ends, it ends on a note of... Um, Triumph and moving on to the next one. Plague of Frogs stops the frogs while bigger monsters start coming out of the ground. Um, And that's what you start with Hell on Earth. So Hell on Earth is a, is a, basically a 2,500 uh, page uh, arc uh, that the idea of, it starts with the Hell on Earth, um, and it gets bigger and bigger. So, in some ways, the the last book of Hell on Earth ends up uh, feeling like a little bit of a culmination of this apocalypse and these monsters that have raged across the the wor- the world and then i agree with you peter that, then then uh, the devil we know really collects all of the remaining plot threads to also get us to the ending that we were promised in the first book That hellboy being a part of the new world and as we come to realize abe sapien so you kind of have these big monsters that get taken down at the end of hell and earth that's where kate dies that's where um uh, Jonas dies um, and uh, you have the uh, Ogdru Jahad finally come back down to earth. You have the end. That's the one where you have the end of the Helioptic Brotherhood or is that the end of Devil? You Know?
1: Um, the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra, um, I think, sort of dwindles out. The Osiris Club is the end, end, end yeah. Uh, yeah. of uh, Devil, You Know.
0: One of the things that the ending does really well besides bring together all these things, you have all these plot plotters that need to go somewhere. You have this girl. That makes no sense, this Russian demon, who you've gotten a better picture of in in the ending of Hell on Earth, which is great. You have Rasputin, who keeps getting talked about, but it was basically gone after the first story in 1994. You have the Ogdru Jihad that you know needs to come to Earth. You have the Osiris Club, which has been mentioned since Edward Grey and everything. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) there's going to be a new world of people that look like Abe that's caused by uh, Hellboys (laughs) bringing about the end of the world. And it's so great the way they, a lot of those things I just said, fold in on it themselves. There's some stuff that reads as like a pretty typical plot twist that still works. Like Rasputin inhabiting his daughter who is actually possessed by a demon who took over Rasputin's daughter's body. It feels a little more like typical soap opera serialized storytelling. It works well. But then you have great things like the Ogdru Jihad coming to Earth in a dead shell because it was controlled by the Osiris Club who Hellboy went and slaughtered after he came back hmm. from out. From like, those are really good examples of we're going to give you the the comic book twisty thing. Like, oh, the Russian demon lady is actually has Rasputin's spirit possessed in him. And once you kill the demon, Rasputin can come out and bring about the end of the world. But also, like... That's the bang, but then it also ends with a whimper. Dr. Jihad is dead and crashes to Earth because Hellboy kills the powers that are creating it. And then still giving you the ending that it promised that Hellboy will be responsible for the end of this world and the coming of the next world where he acts as blood semen. Which he really should get that checked out. Too late now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is it, you're going to have to have some frog doctor check that out later on after they develop civilization I mean, he'll go
1: ribbit. ribbit you have testicular cancer I think cancer. the goal is that a... ribbit.
0: Yeah. I think our uh, society may have been started by blood infested semen from a hell creature croak <laughs>
1: <laughs> ribbit let's write something entirely different than that just some frogs were hanging out and then those frogs got bigger that's that's the story <laughs> that we're gonna stick with
0: yeah their creation
1: story is gonna be gross <laughs> well there were a bunch of people mining bitcoin and then some demons came out of the earth <laughs> daddy what is
0: bitcoin I'll chop your tongue out boy just a piece at a time I got a lot of tongue to work with that's how us frog parents torture their children before we realize that corporal punishment is not okay
1: but yeah I, I i really do i do really really do admire the ending and how it brings everything together and how it, pull, it rewards you for reading all the weird side stories like it, it both rewards you and it builds up dread for having read the side story so like hellboy dying and then you jump in the bprd universe um is gonna mean that you have like a great sense of like uh that you've been unmoored from this universe that like i have to get attached to all these other characters now so when i originally read the run i read all the way to hell hellboy and hell and i was actually very happy to end it there because i think hellboy and hell is a tremendous series end it's so fucking yeah great. agree it's melancholy and thoughtful and it's a great way for the character to end because it's not it's not quite it's a win he saved the world, but it's not the win in the way we typically expect, because he wasn't really quite able to make peace with his own soul. And when he got to hell, he was still sort of consigned to, to perform the functions of, of hero, of a force of good. And that only further alienated him um, from his, whatever remaining family he had left um it was it was a it's a beautiful story arc and it's gorgeously drawn and magnola takes back the full reins for the story, so the art is just very specific. And it feels like you know a nice closed loop. And then we move into the BPRD hell on, uh, war on frogs and hell on earth, and things just get shittier. The end of the war on frogs arc is actually implying that you know things are going to be way worse going forward. And they get
0: well, yeah. And the opening fuckers. of hell on earth is is fucking Austin and yeah or Houston getting destroyed. By a giant monster. And there's a giant monster in there. the
1: in the Salton Sea. Indonesia is completely destroyed in most of the, you know, that the the South Pacific region. Um England went
0: missing somewhere around the, a little bit before this point.
1: Yeah, and things just keep getting worse and you feel more of that hopeless, hopeless dread. And then when Hellboy comes back, like I kinda wish the covers hadn't blown this for me, because yeah. I, 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 I also kind of wish I hadn't shared this thought with you, but I was like, do you think Hellboy's coming
0: back? Um, because there's a... Well, com- I, I had already bought all the digital comics. I guess um, I wasn't 100% sure, though, even when you said that just because he's on the cover of some random stuff that he's not in. He's just referenced in flashback or the whole thing is a flashback, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: But I, I just, I had this this general sense that I was like, why do we have to bring him back? I think he, he served his it's sort of like when there's horror movies and they bring back, um, you know, they they bring back uh, the Nancy. I think it is from Friday the 13th uh, uh, from Nightmare on Elm Street. And then they bring her back just to kill her. And you're like, Nancy already did her job, man. Like, can we can't we just let her rest? Or it's yeah, like I do. Strode. I do hate that. I like leave. Lori I think Strode it works. Alone. I think it works here.
0: I do think it works ultimately. It
1: does ultimately work, but when they first bring him back, and they bring him back um, in this very like sweet, thoughtful cool way. way, which is that yeah, they're talking about vessels that there's certain power in certain bodies and certain. Bodies carry certain powers and, and, uh, you know, Liz specifically says that she is a channel. She's not a vessel. She doesn't hold this power. She doesn't, she, she, she channels the power where she needs it. Um, and she's ultimately, the power is bigger than her. And that's sort of like making peace with the universe and the, and the broader, Problems with the universe while still using that that power for good is a big part of Liz's arc. She goes she runs away from the BPRD time and time again, which is a big part of the first two Hellboy movies, and actually is the end of the second Hellboy movie. Yeah. She's she's a channel, she's not a she's not a vessel. But Roger was always a vessel. Roger was a homunculus that power rests within. And Um, Roger's death is a huge part of the War on Frogs uh, arc, and Roger is similar to Abe and Hellboy. He's he's kind of just a he's 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 a a tabula rasa, and I think that's kind of like as we point towards the end. I think that's kind of where I want to talk about is that like the series is very much on the side of nurture over nature. Um, Yeah, the nature is is set in stone that this person is going to be at this specific. spot in time but um how they get there and what's the purpose of that moment and and can they do some good before they get to that specific moment in time is their nurture and i think that that's what the optimism of the last part of the series is wherein um hellboy comes back to earth um after shaking hands with roger like edward gray meets roger yeah. and hellboy and he brings them together and he says like you guys were close friends on earth for your limited time together let's let's do this handshake and roger gets to ex- hand off he, roger has a soul and he gets to hand off control of his body to hellboy hellboy comes back to earth but hellboy is distant Hel- hellboy feels melancholy and sad about this and also he was in fucking hell so like i mean it's a euphemism and it's, it's symbolic, but it's also like a literal, shitty, melancholy place. So Hellboy had had grown to peace with this strange little house on the beach that he had. And Hellboy comes back, and he's only back to do his job. He's he's not back to wisecrack. He's not back to guzzle beers. He's not back to, to you know, meet up with old friends. He's back to, to perform a specific function because... Uh, edward gray told him that that was that was his final purpose and he comes back he similar to the hellboy and hell arc he grows to a massive size and regrows his horns but in the defense of of the earth and of, of the souls of the earth um and he fights off rasputin one time we haven't even talked about uh varvara at all um
0: i mentioned like, sorry I, I didn't say her name i said yeah the the, the little Russian girl who, everyone, who you wonder what the hell's going on with her for a long time.
1: I had some problems with them bringing back Rasputin at the end. And I think that's a little node before we get to the end that I want to talk about. One of my favorite things about the series is that, like, Magnolia doesn't give characters Disney endings. He gives them these sort of pitiful, small, little... Um, moments where they're 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 uh, kind of pushed into the dustbin of history and what happens with rasputin is that he reaches a certain point where like he has traded in all his chips he has no more he has no more no more cards to play his powers are diminishing his connection to the agru jihad is 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 gone and uh and 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 the baba yaga is basically like you're nothing now. You're a small little pittance. You your soul gets to live on, but and that's where we leave him. And I feel like that's a you a know. wonderful place to leave this disgusting little character during this Varvara plot. Who she's a she's a demon from hell, or they are a demon from hell is taking the form. So of So she child. the human
0: body is Rasputin's illegitimate child, yes. who a demon possesses. Uh, but Rasputin's soul gets locked in there, but it's, it's powerless to fight back the demon. So it's not until they slaughter the demon with that exorcist person that we mentioned that Rasputin surprisingly comes back. Yeah, and I don't quite love
1: that Rasputin gets to come back because one of my favorite things about the series is like, so there's these Nazis, Cronin and von... A lot of Nazis. I don't know. There's there's, these two Nazis. A lot of of apes? (laughs) There's a lot of Nazis. And there's two Nazis that get brought back that get brought back, and they're so sidelined as the sh- as the series gets on. They're just like these weird little these weird little assholes that just
0: kind of. Well, yeah, and they they have that great part in Hellboy. I think it's at the end of Hell on Earth Three or something like that, where they spend a whole book with these guys finally trying to bring back Rasputin, right? And they accidentally bring back the Black Flame who kills them and takes over – or, like, who subdues them or tells them, go fuck yourself, essentially, and then goes and takes over New York. Yeah. Which is such a funny – that is such a funny moment. And I think that's why I'm not too bothered with the Rasputin coming back. It's like he hinted so many times at at Rasputin coming back, and it seems like it makes sense that he's gonna come back, right? Like the there's all those Nazi assholes who try to bring him back, and then it always ends up being something different. So I guess I don't have too much of a problem with literally twenty five years later he finally brings him back for the finale. Like that, like I think it would have been shittier if like if there was two examples spread between those 25 years where Resputin comes back and gets defeated. Like, I don't need that. And I do agree with you with his arc at the end of Wake the Devil where he's like, yep, sorry buddy, you failed. Anyways, machinations move on without you is great. But I, like he he held that card for so long it's not like uh not to again bring another sitcom example into this but it's not like a friend's thing that broke up Ross and Rachel in season three and then decided them getting back together was the finale and then did. Uh, them, but then they got back together like ten times throughout the series because it was too long between the breakup and the finale. Like he holds his Rasputin card till the very, very end, and I, I imagine it would have been differently satisfying and uh to bring him back earlier. And I, you know, I, I, I think like I think that's pretty good
1: yeah yeah i mean ultimately like i'm happy with it because like rasputin is just a pawn for these larger lovecraftian forces that want to yeah want to bring the void this abyssal power to to the earth like i it's just mentioning i mentioned the nazis one of my favorite things about them is that like their endings are so ignominious like cronin who they've just been dragging along as this corpse he thinks he 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 he's just lamenting that he didn't die at hunt cap or Hunt castle and he didn't get his glorious nazi death at the end he's just dispatched because uh varvara is like she's like i don't really have a use for these old fucking weirdos anymore like she's just like <laughs> i don't have a use for him, and then she yeah. leaves the other one alive who he just kind of gets like in the final battle, like he doesn't get to do anything cool. He just kind of gets like, eh, you're gone. Um, yeah, there's I, so many great like, oh yeah, this guy didn't matter. Um, I love, I love that as a Nazi ending, yeah. ending because there were just these pathetic little worms and like, oh. and just that that just because they survived, it doesn't mean that like, um, they they don't deserve a place in the dustbin of history. And I I I, yeah. I feel like that's um, but that also has a has a flip side, which is that like Abe's ending while in some way is a happy ending because like he got to fulfill his destiny, like Abe just wanted to be happy. Abe just wanted to find love. And, and you know, there's, there's moments in his arc where he, he, you know, it seems like he just wanted to love grace. Um, and Abe is really happy with Liz and Hellboy. There's like a, this really cute moment in the final arc where, Liz Oh
0: wh- man, I love that moment where the three of them are just back together again for a second. And Liz like, hey. holds
1: the truth from, from, abe she's like you know if i'm following orders this is a big deal um and she has it so she can give a surprise to abe who's been depressed for roughly nine thousand pages and (laughs) and they have this moment together where they get to catch up and drink and, and be people and you know hellboy is starting to like you know a little bit engage and and feel more human and like It's this final moment where you get to see them all together when you thought that, like, oh, these people are just going to be cast off into the wilderness to do their their jobs separately. That just it's it's so it's so beautiful. Um, But even Abe, you know, Hellboy got to have this glorious arc at the end. Um, But, you know, he's just presumably back in the nothing or maybe he gets to go back to hell to
0: like just be kind of a wanderer drinker. But I think the idea is that hell has gone, too. Like, it's gone. It's all gone.
1: Yeah, I think all that's if real left energy, is, whatever. Yeah, all that's left is the yeah. space beneath the earth, really, and, and yeah. this, this sunken earth. So yeah, that's that's actually the optimistic point: is that the story ends with a happy ending for humanity in a, in a sense. But it, I don't know if you call it happy, but like at least a somewhat optimistic ending that like man destroyed the earth, and then uh, Lovecraftian deities really like. You know overdid it just real overcompensators uh and
0: uh fulfilled the sort of what are you jackson pollock (laughs) (laughs) you already sprayed that part of it you don't you need eight more drops you're good jack spray him again spray him again they don't call me uh spray i gotta tell you that guy pray for nothing that that guy found a racket (laughs) Oh yeah. That was un it was unrepeatable, but he did really good with it.
1: Oh yeah. I mean that is it is a pretty good comeback whenever anybody talks about modern art and you're like, well I could have done that. And you're like, well you didn't.
0: You're like, well, yeah,
1: I didn't. Fucking
0: idiot. Yeah, I wasn't as old as he was. That's not my fault.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's my parents' fault. That is that is your parents' fault for not having you for making me
0: exist in a world where Jackson Pollock already exists. <laughs>
1: For not having you, and then managed. immediately foisting you into the the, the, the uh, Delorean
0: from Back to the Future. I could have played. I I could have play, been played by Ed Harris in a uh, mediocre biopic. Um, would it be called? That's what I always say to
1: people: would it be called Armstrong? But like, be like, no, it's not about Lance Armstrong. Oh well, yeah, it's about Buzz Armstrong. It's not about Buzz Armstrong. Who's Buzz Armstrong?
0: Do you mean Neil
1: Armstrong? Oh, Neil Armstrong. There we go. Buzz Aldrin. Okay. Listen, when we talk about Hellboy for three hours, sometimes I'm get astronauts confused. Okay. Sometimes astronauts get confused. They get confused when they get up in space. They stand on the moon and they go, they go, hey, hey, that's Earth right there. I can see my house from there. Like, buddy, you're looking at South America. You fucking idiot.
0: I live there. That's my house. They get confused.
1: Ultimately, in the grand scope of mankind, does it matter that I called Neil Buzz or Buzz Neil?
0: Yeah, Peter, I'm I'm not trying to hold a grudge. When at any moment our entire universe could be upended by demon semen and oh, they've been semen and demons, fish eggs, and demon and semen and demons and semen. Do you think that's where his idea came from? He noticed that demon semen. Rhymes and he's like, "Hey, an idea for a twenty-five-year comic book story."
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. One time, to- one time he was uh, jerking off to sixteen-hundreds uh, medieval paintings of. Uh, he was jerking off to some Hieronymus Bosch, and he was like,
0: "Demon and semen rhyme. Demon semen be creaming." And the and Dark Horse is like, "Can you call it Hellboy?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he was beaming.
0: Yeah, and his penin was
1: creaming. <laughs> It was teaming. Yeah, well, he's teaming up with some other creamins to get that demon semen.
0: Do you think our audience likes when we just no. demonstrate that we know how rhyming works?
1: Frankly, I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> 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 yeah i don't know if uh, uh well i'm
0: just tired and a little drunk yeah just
1: a just a, a hair of all hair of all that so uh the final plot <laughs> is that mankind gets to live in this hyperbarum which is this uh land beneath the the uh the earth this underground uh until the next cycle starts um and the point of this is that the entire universe is in this destruction and creation cycle um so, so what ends up happening is that like people and these these holes end up opening in the earth and the people that can get in, which includes some characters we know, um, get in. Uh, and the question to Edward Gray is, you know, did, did man know. survive? And you're like, enough. I think enough is the yeah. word he used. Like enough, enough that people aren't fucking their cousins, I guess. And then mankind. Well, gets but to they the they their next stage of it. The next yeah. Human cycle.
0: evolution is is. Yeah. Is frog people.
1: Yeah. They're they're old. They're old froggies. Um. Then, and we'll all look like Kermit at that point because they're part frog and part man.
0: It's not easy given underground in a post pocket of <laughs> It's certainly not Kermy, <laughs> Um Kermy. So,
1: are there, is there a space for Piggy? Who's in yeah? The underground is Phoenix the Miss Piggy
0: of the underworld? <laughs>
1: oh well, Phoenix of the I Hollow guess, Earth. I guess you can come underground with me. Um, as long as you uh, promise to populate the earth and let me shoot eggs all over, you know, you know, I I actually make the eggs in my family,
0: and I make a lot. I don't. I have no rejoinder to that. <laughs> Did you know that they're? I, I thought about Amy going I... like like he's a chef, <laughs> <laughs> but but honestly, uh, wait, hold on. I Is think... the name
1: of the, the name of the last volume should have been called Deviled Eggs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the devil the devil you digest <laughs> they're eggs
1: <laughs> well miss Picky, um you're dead now because the closest uh portal to hyper was uh several thousand miles away from la where you were off smoking uh free base in our mansion <laughs>
0: Also, one of the biggest problems with this whole plan is that uh just like thirty of us in this hole. None of the food sources we're used, typically used to came down with us, so it's really going to be like a like a like a Brazilian soccer team <laughs> situation down here in less than a week. Well, I mean, I'll fuck Frankenstein,
1: but I won't bottom.
0: <laughs> Fine, I'll bottom. That meat is toasty. Frankenstein's in this, guys. Don't worry about it. A uh, lot of stuff we didn't the talk monster, about. I want the the doctor. About.
1: The doctor died in Mexico, like, Duh, yeah, a long time
0: ago. Duh. Duh. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, I think we got to the end of the arc, and this actually worked out really well. There's, uh, there's a lot that we didn't mention. Peter, I want to final thought moment. Let's talk about the one issue or series that we didn't get any time with. Uh, I want to talk about my favorite part of the entire series, uh, which was remarkably resonant in the time of COVID, and that is a um, part of Hellboy Volume Four, or sorry, not Hellboy Volume Four, a uh, Hell on Earth, BPRD, uh, Hell on Earth Volume Four, that really did something that, like, I think is my favorite one issue of the series. And it's something I think about constantly. I've reread a couple times. It's a one shot called Grind.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So Grind is essentially for the. So we we basically have seen now for uh, this is Hell on Earth Volume Four. There is essentially this monsters like these giant Lovecraftian creatures overlooking every everything. The Ogdruhem. Yep, and uh, it, this is a uh, issue that that kind of depicts the idea of okay, well, we've seen all these. VPRD fighting the monster stuff what is what is life on the ground? What is it like living in a world where cities are gone, the apocalypse has happened, and these like sometimes petrified sometimes active monsters like volcanoes overlook every town, as well as just an un- <laughs> uncountable number of other weirdo monstrous stuff comes out uh, that needs to be investigated and stuff like that. Basically, all, all things can be, are possible Right? All all forms of monsters exist. And so Grind takes this idea of the of, again, it's the it's the it's this the worker in the city. It's the what's it like for an average citizen of Gotham? And it has this character who's this uh who works at a coffee shop. And he gets up every morning in a city that's half destroyed, that occasionally monsters kill people in, that's overlooking a giant uh, Ogdru Hem, while he goes to work to serve coffee to everyone that goes to their jobs, and while the BPRD um, comes to town to stop the the Ogre, uh, uh, Ogdru Hem that's overlooking. The town, while he also starts noticing that a couple of his neighbors have started to die of this weird fungus. And it's this great look at, like, someone who is uh, stuck in his station in life, which is not someone who has any sort of agency against the apocalypse that's happening. Who he literally still doesn't to... have an agency. He's not a member of the BPRD. Yeah. yeah. Um, who has to go about his life. Who has to pay rent. Um, who has to get up and eat three meals a day and have the energy to go through stuff and uh, you know, just kind of doing all that while hoping that some monster doesn't kill him. And so the, the kind of Twilight Zone ending of the of this, this book is that the BPRD end up defeating the Ogdru hem in the town. He is able to actually somehow get contact with uh, Jonas about the fungus that seems new jonas is interested in it um and agrees to meet him and finally he's going to be a part you know there's hope in the city he's going to have a part in helping them uh stop some of the other weird things going on in the city and the twilight zone ending is that uh he is jonas decides that this person must not have shown and we've flashed to him in his apartment being overrun by the fungus like his neighbor was and like Anytime you build up a fantastical world like this, it's always interesting to see, like, hey, what's with, like, the people that aren't actively involved in the plot? What's their life like? But I will say, like, this just has a level of resonance between COVID and Trump that really hit me hard this time around. Um, In that, like, you know, one of the things, Peter, when COVID hit, when Trump was elected president, there's this this, this feeling of what can we do about this? Like, sure, we're not going to be go stopping the disease, but what – What do we have to do? And then at some point, it's like, is it weird that our country is being taken over by a fascist monster and I still have to go to work and go to dentist appointments and go grocery shopping? Like, my life hasn't. this is somewhat of a place of privilege, not just somewhat, completely of a place of privilege, hasn't demonstrably changed, and yet my country and the world I live in has shifted dramatically. And that was even more true as COVID came up. Here's a pandemic that's going on, and you know the first couple weeks, everyone bands together and watches the weird TV specials of celebrities singing Disney songs from Zoom accounts. And then at some point, it's like, well, I don't know, everyone back to work. I guess people gotta get their coffee and they gotta go to work and so to see like my reality as I'm reading this stuff over the last few years that seems you know surreal on a daily basis reflected in this idea of yeah, you know the monsters are coming up, but at some point, gotta keep capitalism going, there's not much you can do, people need to eat, we need to you know still just kind of go to our jobs and stuff like that. Was really affecting in a way that I was not uh, that I was surprised by. So, um, yeah, I really think like it's it's such a perfect like moment in the series, a series that is filled from the beginning with larger than life, literally creatures, to finally get a chance to go like, yeah, I don't know, I guess you still gotta go to a Starbucks to get to do your nine to five so you can eat and other people. Uh, need you to do that so that you can get your caffeine so that they can go to their jobs where they do it 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 was really good
1: yeah yeah i I love it's it's one of the best stories i read um throughout all this and what I, i really like about it is that like i what i think people don't think about that much is that when you're in a new universe you have to connect me with like normal people like, you have to connect yeah. me with the normal-ass people going, walking around their lives. Like, the MCU gets this. Like, um, a lot of big-budget movies do not understand this, but the MCU gets this. Like, if you're going to do big-budget, a lot of Godzilla movies do not get this. If you're going to do big-budget <laughs> destruction, I need you to connect me to who's actually their lives are being destroyed. And one of the things I love about Hellboy is that it does have the the... the flexibility at certain points to go yeah we're just gonna have an issue where abe sapien is hanging out with normal people who live in like a tiny
0: a pool yeah
1: they live in a pool (laughs) they live in a tiny house we're gonna go to a small town that's off you know in in the boonies we're gonna go uh, see how these normal people are trying to make their living in the city like phoenix's plots early on are very much about like how are normal people getting along in this era how how apocalyptic is it
0: um yeah and how much do they have to change the way that they they understand the concept of friendship and companions and a lot of that stuff and
1: war on frogs is full of that because war on frogs is a softer apocalypse it's more of like a pre-apocalypse thing where it's like oh shit i guess there's Frog people. We run should around.
0: say it is called plague of fra- frogs. We keep saying war on frogs. But yeah,
1: I just call it the war on frogs because it's you know the generals the gather
0: at their lily pads.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that? Do you think that the war on frogs is do more or less this? successful than the war on drugs?
0: <laughs> equal.
1: Equal. It's kind of a stalemate. It kind of just leads to worse
0: shit, right? Well, yeah, one's led to. Well, yeah, equal in that. We absolutely lost the war on frogs and it's led to more apocalyptic shit. And I bet you,
1: I bet you frogs are cheaper to buy in that universe now, just the way that heroin is cheaper to buy now.
0: That's as much as I like the the grind one shot, I would have loved a one shot about what the pet store frog economy. Is <laughs> <love to. laughs> well,
1: I put them in the big pot of water but I turned the water on the the heat on too fast and they all hopped out. So I had to turn on the heat on very slowly. We start importing French people to eat all of our frogs for a little bit. It seems like a huge deal for the pet store owners, but eventually their frog suppliers guilt them into buying more frogs. Could be a good arc. Could be a good arc.
0: Yeah, tadpoles were like madpoles by how mad they make all these Polish people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and everyone else. I imagine it makes people in in
1: most of the Slavic countries, as well as the rest of Europe, very upset. People in Russia are very mad. They build gunships. About it's a it. it's
0: a world it's a worldwide plague. I want to be clear.
1: Yeah, it's not a it's not a Poland
0: wide plague. <laughs> this this little character, the sketch that I just put together, implies a Polish pet store owner who. Business has really gone upside down, at least in specifics, to his tadpole economy.
1: This story is riveting, but I think I'm going to move on to something else, which is that. Do you mean my other thoughts? Um, I think that the connecting us to normal human beings is why the ending hit me so hard. Because I was like genuinely like, I hope that Earth is able to actually move on, and while in that same breath, like. Well, on that same breath, like, I love that the story actually delivers on prophecy, because prophecy is one of the most boring narrative structures ever, but the series, when the series started, it wasn't. It was like, we were hungry for Star Wars-ass shit. Now we're at a point where, like, oh, the prophecy, it says you have to do this thing, and you're gonna do it. Like, that's just, and people denying their prophecy, like, that's, that's uh, such a... a, a, a cliche and when they get to the end and they genuinely destroy the surface of the earth and liz is used as as this sort of like sacrificial lamb to burn out all existence on earth to make sure that that new cycle can start like that's that's very involving and part of the reason that's involving is because they introduced us some really great characters that are human beings. There's just normal people without powers that just wanted to do the best they could. And those people, some of those people made it into the caves at the end and they get to live into this seemingly like underground heaven, like paradise, um, that involves dinosaurs and stories like grind, get me there. Um, I'm trying to think of what other stories, Aaron, what other stories in this universe just really connected with you?
0: I think Koshay, the deathless
1: really connected. with. I me.
0: love Co I love Koshay, the deathless. That's, when, when when you were going through a lot of the one-shots, Peter, I was like, look, <sighs> Rasputin's fine. Chris Lotus is not that good. Black Flame's cl- fine. But at least you're going to get to the end of those, which is the, the story of Koshi in more detail. And I, I love that. So that idea of just someone who has just constantly been beaten down and tricked into hurting people. He constantly has to keep going on doing those things. And I love that the ending of his story is that he is friends with Hellboy in hell and they drink at the same bar. Like, that's such a good ending to that story. Yeah, it's it's pretty perfect. That's one of the best things I I
1: read in here. Um, I liked a lot of the Lobster Johnson stories, though. um, I wish that they had leaned in more because Lobster Johnson. The the story kind of goes nowhere. Like, it's just sort of like. It's just kind of like Lobster Johnson had a lot of fun adventures. Well, not in really, because it leads and 40s, to. And
0: then it's over. You're going to eye roll at this, and rightfully so. But it doesn't really go nowhere, because the whole thing is, besides the Black Flame Association, him and his team is the one that discovers the uh, Iron Prometheus, which becomes the Sledgehammer 44 suit, which ultimately ends up defeating the uh Og, Drew Ham.
1: Yeah, and 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 while we're there, I mean, I love Sledgehammer Forty Four. I think that and the Visitor yeah. are, are really great. Late in the series, kind of kind of one off one
0: shots. Yeah,
1: and my thoughts there are that like Sledgehammer Forty Four connects back with the humanity. It's a World War Two story that yeah. has a sci fi twist, and it's it's really lovely. That suit could have just they could have just solved that with like a one panel and just been like. Hey, some investigators and <laughs> some <laughs> investigators found this suit underneath the earth when they were looking in the hollow earth or whatever. Like that could have been solved. And the visitor is just like kind of an isolated comic that helps us helps us say goodbye to Hellboy one last time near the end. Yeah. Um, Hel- visitor actually would work really well right next to Koschei the Deathless towards the end, um, because it's sort of like Hellboy is back. We know he's back. However. <laughs> What did his life on Earth mean up to this point? And this this sort of constant thrumming battle against evil and his constant denial of of monsterhood was was like it's it's really thoughtful and it's important. And it's like important that the series that like I constantly denied that it was about heroism and it was about, you know, superheroes, like it's kind of beautiful that the series ends with them being like yeah, he was—he was a superhero. He denied his destiny. He sacrificed everything for us. It, it's a little bit closer to a Christ story than a you know a, a Superman story. But those two characters are also intermixed, right? So I, I really love—I Sle- yeah. I really love Sledgehammer on its own. Lobster Johnson ultimately is just sort of this cute sidebar thing. And then when they throw it, it's—it's it's one of those fan community things that like maybe if I were. 15 years older and re- been reading this series more alive, I would be more connected to it. But at the time I was just like, yeah, I mean, it, it's cool to have these stories in the thirties and forties, but I really need it to go somewhere. Like we don't know why Lobster Johnson can just heal himself.
0: Well, they definitely have time to do that if they want to, because it does not seem like Mignola uh, is planning to leave, which actually is probably a, a good ending for this episode. It doesn't seem like he's planning to leave the universe. Uh, anytime soon there's there's a few hundred pages that peter and i could pick up that have come out since we started re- uh, reading this back in like fall of 2020 um i think we're gonna take a pause i do probably the next next mcnola thing i'm gonna read is baltimore
1: i would like to switch over to baltimore get caught up there and then see in the, you know the intervening time what what, what mcnola's been up to
0: yeah, but this was this was such a fun month, and uh, you know, I when I started buying comics, Hellboy was a no brainer for me because I loved the movies so much, and also I'd been at, to Peter's house, and I had seen those library editions, and as you know, you start buying comic books for the first time, you're like, oh, those look, I'd, I'd like some of those also, on my comics have a, an amazing
1: uh, appeal, which is that I can just open up a comic book and just show you random pages that mean absolutely nothing yeah. to you, and you're like. That art is cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I want to see why he's punching this guy. This guy looks crazy. Yeah, that's,
1: that's um, what's fun about yeah. comic books. Like, I, you know, you you can just kind of hand someone a book and they can flip through it and be like, "Yeah, I'll I'll read I'll read this for a couple yep, hours." Yeah, is good.
0: Yeah. Um. So I I was really like we actually had had initially a different uh, a different plan for Double Summer. That I I was the one who who I was the one who had suggested our next double summer month, which I think we're gonna move to 2022. So I'm not gonna spoil it here. But then as we started getting into it, and you were talking about I want to do, we gotta figure out a way to do Blade and Hellboy movies. I was like, fuck it, scrap, scrap summer of 2021. We'll push it out. Let's read all this shit and and watch all the movies and talk about all that stuff just because I was so into it almost immediately and it's great that like the timing really worked out i think there was a part of us that thought because uh i definitely when it comes to any sort of art have bigger eyes than i do time or a stomach as the saying goes i was like yeah i don't know if that time is going to be great we're probably going to finish reading the series by february or march but, you know, maybe we'll just record early and instead, midway through our actual release, we finally kind of got to this point. So uh, it tells you how much of uh, how how meaty it is. I kind of hope if you're listening to us say this, you either intend to never read it because that's not your thing or you've read it. But uh, I also think it's good in that there's no way that we could do 10,000 plus pages justice and, or 20,000 plus pages justice. And in, in two plus hours of talking about it, whole series we mentioned in passing, whole arcs that we mentioned in passing, it's absolutely worth it. And it's one of those series, too, that some of it's available on Comixology for free, but a lot of times it Dark Horse has tons of sales on there. So, like, I picked up all the BPRD stuff, which essentially amounts to... 12 or 13 40 page volumes for like 30 or 40 bucks at one point
1: yeah there's a there's uh, an unfortunate problem with uh the omnibuses are great and they're a great cost saver because it's like 30 bucks for three volumes um but and sometimes cheaper than that um however omnibuses the trade paperbacks go out of print when the omnibuses come out and then the omnibuses also go out of how to print so eventually yeah. you're, you have to read digital comics for some of these also because the tpbs are st- random ones are just super rare and super expensive and you're like all right i mean i guess i guess i mean can you guys sell me a, a i'm willing to purchase your product can you buy can you sell me this you can't find it on Powell's, you can't find it in your local bookstore, even yeah. Amazon struggles with it. So, like, it was a little bit of a struggle to get through all this. But if you're a digital lover, just wait for sales and then just pl- plop down a hundred bucks there and get, like, yeah. hundreds of thousands, of, not hundreds of thousands, thousands of pages um, all all at your fingertips.
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, for me, like... The display ones, the cool ones, are the library editions, which have the giant pages and stuff like that. Those you can still get pretty cheaply from Amazon. And then the rest, I did a mix of digital and omnibuses. I know Peter. Peter's got a display shelf. I have too much kid shit. They're on a bookshelf that's, like, in a corner somewhere. So I am less, um, I'm probably less finicky about that stuff than uh, a lot of people I know, but part of the reason I love the library editions is because you get these giant fucking pages. It fills your whole app. Cannot. It's awesome. Cannot be replicated on uh, on, a, on a digital reader. Oh, the colors are so rich, on those black backgrounds, it's, oh, it's mwah. I know, it's so good. Uh, I know you're sad to announce this, but what are we doing next, Peter?
1: Aaron, in September we're going to be taking on a whole new theme, and it's... <laughs> True, and it's it's a very special theme to me. We gotta
0: get actually, out
1: of this place. I'm actually getting a little choked up yeah, thinking about it, Aaron. If you could maybe announce the theme, because I oh I yeah, you don't it. know, but I just want to make yeah, you sure don't, you remember that's
0: it. It's why your technology and I'm admin. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we're we're look it's September. You got to go back to school. You got some of us are going away from uh remote work again. Sometimes you just got to get away from all that shit. So, uh, yeah. So we had our first uh, – we've had a Patreon now for about a year and a half. And we had our first uh, Patreon uh, member take advantage of the tier where they get to uh, guest on episode. That's uh, Sean, a.k.a. Grails, who wanted to – give us a few movies that he was passionate about to talk about. And he, one of the movies he picked is The Reese Witherspoon starring Wilde. And that gave Peter an idea for uh, for a whole month. So we kind of have a whole month sponsored by Sean that we're really excited of. So we're going to be doing Wild with Sean as a guest. We're going to be doing The Mosquito Coast with Rick Kelly as a guest. Uh, and then we're also going to be doing Grizzly Man and Jeremiah Johnson. And I think that's going to be a really fun month because it's all movies that uh, typically don't fit into kind of the genre stuff we're doing. But it's like... Wild, I've heard, and Jeremiah Johnson, I've heard amazing things. I have not seen Jeremiah Johnson. And The Mosquito Coast is one of those movies I saw at a younger age and keep telling people how good it is, especially when it comes to Harrison Ford, that like the culture has come back around on because they made a TV show out of it, or uh, the book that it was based on. So I'm really excited to revisit that movie for the first time in a long time, and then Grizzly Man is in my top, like 25 movies of all time, and I don't even know how we can have a guest, Peter, because I think you and I are just going to talk about that for four hours, because that movie is like mind-blowing to me on every level. And at least an hour is going to be Werner Herzog impressions, and we cannot subject guests to that. Why would we? Yeah, they just have to listen to it later on. Yeah, well, at least they can go, haha they get episode guys, and then delete it from their feed. Um, yeah, and then delete yeah, delete our podcast from and from then their delete feed. their phone. Um, throw their phone in the in the guard and then get away from it all
1: uh people think that factory reset is the only option but it turns out there's a big button uh that says i listen to a bad podcast in your phone and you can hit that button whenever you want and it just it actually deletes your entire profile it deletes your email yeah um and you can live off the grid
0: wipes out delete your social security number and you can go live like grizzly
1: yeah you can you can basically become a sarah connors at that point um, We're going to be walking
0: through step by step step instructions to erase yourself from the grid as we cover these wonderful movies. Yeah, and if you, you
1: want to get back on the grid, you know, living out in the wilds, so you can eventually have an award winning documentary made about you. Um, but yeah, really excited for this month. Thank you, thank you so much, Sean, for for sponsoring us. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. It's gonna be wild. It's also something. It's gonna, it's gonna be wild. What Aaron said. <laughs> it's gonna be a wild month it's gonna be something i'm pretty sure we're gonna we're gonna uh go buck wild um (laughs) on runtime because if you want to hear me uh talk about my conflicts with being out in nature versus like the uh accepted capitalist version of us being out in nature but how just being out of the city makes me happy but i still need to be in the city like all that shit is just like it's a very fascinating topic for me so i'm very excited to to get to digest some of that stuff
0: and I'm mostly going to be moving away from Jay Leto impressions and moving into Johnny Carson impressions where I get to say stuff like weird, wild stuff. Weird, wild stuff. Good night. Pushy got you hooked. Let your motor run And whatever comes our way, yeah, don't make it happen. Take the world in a loving place. All of the guns are constant, exploded to space. I look smoking lightning. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to
1: Watch.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>